With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This evening. Young lady, what is your name? Mrs. Mia Wallace. And uh, how about your fellow here? Lindsay Vega. All right, let's see what you can do. Take it away. It was a teenage wedding, and the old folks wished them well. You could see that Pierre did truly love the mademoiselle. And now the young Monsieur and Madame have rung the chapel bell. C'est la vie, c'est the old folks. It goes to show you never can tell. They furnished off an apartment with a two-room robot sale. The cooler radar was clear. All right, everybody, welcome one and all to another edition of your favorite movie podcast. That's right, it's Horse Perspective. And this is part two of episode 99 Ezekiel 2517. I am your host, SportsGuy515, and on this episode we will continue our retrospective of Pulp Fiction, which is Brandon Draven's favorite film, or at least his self-professed favorite film, as we have him on the show to add yet another addition into Force Respective's My Favorite Film series, which this is the number three edition of this special series, focusing on people's favorite films, and Brandon Draven, our guest here, his favorite film is Pulp Fiction, so that's what we're discussing. In part one, we basically laid the groundwork for you to uh, kind of get you ready for Pulp Fiction. We talked about the behind-the-scenes uh, creation of Pulp Fiction. We talked about Quentin Tarantino's casting. 
for Pulp Fiction. Now the stage is set, so now we're ready to talk about the film itself, our favorite moments, our favorite quotes. We always said we're never going to uh, go through the whole film, and yet we go through the whole film here. So um, I don't know if I should give you a spoiler alert for a 20-year-old film, but, uh, you know, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert. But, uh, you know, we hope that maybe if you haven't seen it, this episode will maybe want make you want to go see it. Um, it's an absolute classic. It's the rightful best picture of 1994, in my opinion. Um, and that's uh, my little intro here, so uh, kick back and relax. Just a little program, you know. This is our last episode for about a month and a half, as you know, August has rolled around and now it's time for me to kind of disappear for about a month and a half you know into into my uh, my uh, real world job I guess is the best way to describe it and uh, so next time you'll hear my voice will be for episode 100 of Force Perspective and we have a lot of interesting things planned for that show uh, it's gonna be one for the history books most definitely so uh, we'll be dropping some little hints over Twitter, over Facebook, and uh, make sure you follow us along there on the social media empire, Force Perspective, so you can get all the hints that you possibly can about what could possibly happen for episode 100. And with that, on behalf of Adolfo and Draven on SportsGuy515, I'm going to let you guys listen to part two of Ezekiel 2517, which is Force Perspective's episode 99. And uh, until episode 100, take it easy, everybody. Enjoy the show. Uh, this um, I want to ask you guys this because this is something that I caught last night with this uh, most recent screening that I had, um, and I don't know the answer to it. So I just want to kind of throw the floor to you guys. Maybe there's a meaning to it because I just discovered this. Um, so there's a few key scenes that uh, involve a bathroom, right, and involves Vince. And I noticed this. I don't know if maybe this is supposed to be like a trend or something, but for example. Um, when Vince goes to the bathroom in the diner, it's while he's in the bathroom that the Honey Bunny and Pumpkin start holding the place up. So when he comes out of the bathroom, you know, there's already shit going down. Um, and after he brings Mia home after their quote-unquote date at Jack Rabbit Slim's, you know, and he's in the bathroom and he's talking about, you know, he's trying to train us, like, okay, don't go too far with her. Just say, you know, I had a great evening. I'll have, I'll have your drink. You know, you deserve your drink. Um, and then I'm just going to go home. You know, so then when he comes out of the bathroom, she already started the heroin and, you know, shit went down. And then finally, in Butch's apartment, he's in the bathroom taking a shit. And when he comes out, Butch is already there with his silencer. And that's where Vince gets killed. So I don't know if, what he's trying to say about, like, what, about the bathroom. It's just kind of an interesting, like, kind of trope that he, he, he has here, it seems, with the bathroom. Like, Vince goes into the bathroom and when he comes out, like, all of a sudden, like, shit's going down. Like... Is there some sort of other meaning to that? I mean, well, you guys can just jump in, but I just thought it was kind of interesting. I think I think it's what Adolfo was talking about. I think you know, in in, like, in those kind of screwball situations, you always have the thing that triggers it. Somebody letting their guard down, you know, and, and it's always something that you look back on and you're like, dude, if they hadn't have done this, this wouldn't have happened, you know. And and I think that's just Tarantino's humor coming with the with the whole toilet and stuff, and and just uh. You know, just having fun with it and, and, and queuing everybody up into what's going to happen every time, you know, Vincent goes to the bathroom. So, you know, it, it gives you it gives you conversation points and it's like, oh, shit, he's going to go to the bathroom. Now something's going to happen. And then sure enough, you're right. You <laughs> yeah. know, 
That's true. And by, and by the way, um, uh, Marcellus is the one that kills Vincent because he's a dumbass that left the gun laying around. It wasn't Vincent. That's another <laughs> thing that people understand. Because A, Vincent never used that gun, and B, we all know that Marcellus didn't have his gun when he was crossing the street. So that was Marcellus's gun that he just happened to leave there. Oh, you mean and, Butch, and, right? Oh, 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 Butch. I'm sorry, Butch. Yeah. No, no, yeah, no. Well, Butch grabbed Marcellus's gun. Yeah. You know, because right. a lot of people think that 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 Vincent took left his gun outside while he went to take the shit, but Vincent always had his gun with him. It was it was Mar- it was Marcellus who left the gun there for Butch to pick up. Gotcha. Yeah, but I, I noticed that yesterday, and I was like, oh shit, like th- this is a talking point, so I made sure to write it down in my Denny Louis notebook. So. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, um, but um. And then the other, and then there's there's two more like pretty infamous scenes that we have to talk about, and the first one after the the warrior with cheese is the uh, Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, which, after doing my research, is really not what Ezekiel twenty five seventeen says, but who cares, right? It's just an awesome scene. Samuel L. Jackson just nails it with the with the delivery, and he does it twice. Like I mean, you see it three times because when you go back to a. Uh, when they revisit that scene later on, he like they replay that scene. So you see it, the, the speech three times. But the first time, I love how in the first time, like he's still like that cold-hearted assassin when he's reading it. So it's like his um his routine, his normal routine. He says the Ezekiel twenty-five seventeen, and then he shoots the motherfucker, whoever it is. And then when he says it the second time to uh, to Timmy Roth, you know, it's after like he had this his this miracle happen to him, you know, his calling from God that he has to leave this line of work. And then he's kind of a more reserved kind of guy saying it, and he, and then it's like he's discovering a different meaning with that second, uh, with that second um, recitation of the speech. Right. Um, what right. do you guys think about that? Well, I think I think at the end, if you know, with those two, those two characters have the biggest arc in my in my opinion, uh, because it's all about redemption, right? I think one chooses to leave the life, and the other one doesn't, and he ends up getting killed for it, you know. And so I think. Um, one of the cool things about the jewel, I mean, uh, Samuel L. Jackson performance, as soon as as soon as it happened, you know, as soon as the guy came out with a cannon and shot him and missed him, that's a whole different jewel at that point. Like, like he he hits it perfectly. You know, I don't know if it's good directing or good acting or maybe both, but from that moment forward, he's in a state of trance. Like, you know, Vincent is like, fuck it, we got lucky, but Jules is frozen. Like right after that that scene, right after the guy misses. Jules is just frozen, and he he's not even there anymore. He's just thinking about what happened, but thinking more as an uh, it's a miracle we didn't get hit, you know. And they look turn around, and then they 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 come back and they kill the guy. But so you so you see the differences in how one acknowledges what they just witnessed, and and Vince is more in denial of it, you know. He's like nah, whatever, you know. It's it, it, we got lucky, you know. And so right. you know you you see the result of that. The result of that is that one 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 makes it and one doesn't make it. You know, and then we're gonna get into the whole, the whole aspect. Remember the whole mythology of like the devil, and you know they they're they're, they're actually like you know hell's angels trying to look for for the soul of Marcellus. We're gonna get into that later on if you want. Yeah. Because there was that was there was that whole underground internet explanation for years about the briefcase. About, right, the briefcase, and how you know Marcellus. Uh, no, I mean Jules and Vince were 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 like angels sent to collect. And one of them turned bad, and the other one didn't, and one got killed, and 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 fucking uh, Butch's not Butch, Marcellus was that was his soul. That's why you see the, the the bandaid, all kinds of weird shit, you know. Yeah. What do you think, Adolfo? About what the briefcase? 
Well, about the well, I mean the, the whole thing. We were talking about the, the Ezekiel thing, and then if you want to talk about the briefcase, you could. But I was asking more about the uh, Samuel L. Jackson Ezekiel, like <clears throat> kind of the the character arc there. Yeah, so I think uh, kind of piggybacking a little bit to what Draven said, like I think that that the the miracle of them not getting killed whenever um, the guy from the bathroom wasn't who I think is Alexis Arquette, right? Who isn't that isn't that who that is? I think who I shoots know. at them. Um, yeah, that's right. But uh. Uh, whenever they, whenever he misses and uh, and they, you know, blow him away, and and Jules is kind of left wondering, like, if it's a miracle, and, and he's kind of in reverence of it, and 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 uh, Vincent is kind of shrugging it off. You know, you're right. It, it like they they do have different path tra- path trajectories after that, where Jules tries to redeem himself, and ultimately, as far as we know, after the film is over, lives. Whereas Vincent shrugs it off and doesn't consider it a miracle, and he ends up dying. So uh, I, I always, I, I don't know exactly kind of, I, I've always noticed that, but I don't know exactly how to put into words, like, what that's supposed to represent exactly, but I always found that interesting. And, and it's also the whole the whole diner scene, you know, Vincent doesn't want him to change, and it, and it, and it, it comes off a, a little selfish on Vincent's part because Vincent doesn't care as much. Uh, he, he's not validating what Jules is going through, and that's pretty fucked up, man. Because when you're in a trauma situation, you don't you don't tell somebody not to feel a certain way, you know. And he's very very selfish because he he doesn't want to lose his partner, but because he doesn't because it benefits him to have him there, you know. It's pretty fucked up when you think about it. So that's another aspect of the character. You know, and, and so, and, and here's this guy who's obviously traumatized. I'm talking about Jules, and he's just not being validated. You know, so he kind of, he kind of, he just has to kind of do it himself. And again, you want to get more spiritual about it. It's almost like that whole honey bunny pumpkin situation came at the right time because that's 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 really what what set him over the line as far as changing. Once, once he was conf- once he was confronting with the choice to kill again, which he had that that luxury to do with 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 a. Uh, with what was it a honey bunny um or pumpkin um you know he didn't do it right and the moment he didn't do it that's when he knew he he, he was able to move on and he had to end up paying you know two thousand dollars to buy that life you right know? and then and, ben, and Vincent was like that's i'll kill him on general principle you know so, uh, which is which is a great fucking line bro um and, and I, I love a lot of his, a lot of Tarantino's uh, directing choices here because you know every, first of all the film, the film is, it's, it's a lot of, and this is typical Tarantino. He did it later on in his career. He does it more so than than here. It's a lot of vignettes. It's essentially, he shot like a lot of vignettes and then he splices them together. That's that, that that's what makes his films kind of, uh, kind of like a mindfuck when you're not used to them. Like he did that. Especially in *Inglorious Bastards*, like he does that a lot in that film, like to the point where it's like you see you see lead actors like Brad Pitt vanishes for like 40, 50 minutes at a time, and then he comes back and then he leaves because it's just a series of a little like five minute vignettes, and then they're done, and then you go to the next vignette and the next vignette, and that, and those are, that's the way he makes his movies, right? Which is which is pretty cool. It's it's kind of his stamp, and the same thing here, and every every vignette that he shoots in *Pulp Fiction*. Is an homage to one of his favorite uh, directors, like you know, like 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 the staircase is like a, like straight out the Palma. You know what I'm yeah. saying? With the tracking shot going up and down the, going through the elevator, going walking through the hallway with the with the with the dolly. I mean, that's just the Palma right there. You know, I love how he shoots the the opening scene with uh with Honey Bunny and Pumpkin, where it's like a two shot and they're and they're going back and forth. Right. And and the way he shoots um 
when they finally go in the house to meet Brad, um, it's it's it the, the the editing is very is very fast. You know, it's, they're they're cutting back and forth. You know, boom 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 boom. So so every every vignette that you see in this film has a certain like like direction. You know, it's not it's not one film just made in one way. It's it's every every single vignette is trying to tell you a different part of the story depending on what he wants to get across. And that's another great thing about about the choices that he did. Just just great fucking film. Yeah, it, it, the quick cuts. You, you, I'm glad you mentioned that the quick cuts in the uh, when he went in to see uh, Brett the Pussy in the apartment, bro. And then uh, <laughs> yeah. and then and then Jules uh, gets that it gets into his tough guy character. He's like. That can I? That's big Kahuna burger. Can I have some of that burger? And he just takes his burger, bro. Takes a bite out of it. It has that infamous line. Mm, that is one tasty burger. <laughs> right. No, but, but, but. Go ahead. He's kind of a dick, right? And then he's yeah. like, he's like, could I have some of this delicious drink to wash this down? Yeah. And, and then he, this asshole, drinks the whole thing, bro. The whole bro. thing, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you just hear the little eyes, just nothing but ice is left, bro. Well, he knows he's gonna fucking blow him away anyway, but still, exactly. that's kind of a douchey move on his it, part, it, bro. It, yeah, but again, again, the whole purpose of that scene is for him to establish dominance, right? And for right. him to establish that he's the big bully. He's not, he's not really hungry. He's not, he's not really thirsty. But what he's doing is he's showing them that he's fucking, he's the boss, and and he's gonna, you know, he's punking them in other words. Exactly. And, um, and right before and he it, goes into the uh, the Ezekiel scene, remember he like you know Brett's trying to try to talk his way out of it, and in 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 the middle of that speech, he just shoots flock of seagulls on the couch. And he goes like, "I'm sorry, did I bring your concentration?" You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that part, bro. No, no, but even before that, this motherfucker, even before that, he's actually listening to Brad's explanation as if he's gonna give him a choice. You know, he's like, "Uh huh, yeah, okay," and then he fucking puts the gun out and shoots fucking flock of seagulls, bro. <laughs> like, like you know, just just great stuff. And I do love the escalation of the tension in that scene because, like you said, he comes off very, you know, like like he's about to uh, kind of uh, bargain with them, you know, barter yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Right. But then he just fucking gets crazy out of nowhere, bro. And all of a sudden, once he gets crazy, that's over, and you feel it. You as the viewer, like I still get intimidated by that scene, bro, because you like like he, the, the way the way Tarantino shoots it and the, and the way the dialogue is carried over, like he goes from from one to the other real fast. But he had already. Walking into the apartment, he already has that vibe like something's gonna go down. So it was it was great stuff. Uh, it was funny about that scene, so like that sequence when uh, he shoots the guy on the couch. I read that uh, the guy the guy who played Flock of Seagulls was like was shit, and like he kept messing up his lines, and he was he kept getting scared by the by the the gunshot, like the the noise of the gunshot. So he kept messing up the scene, and it's funny because uh, when I went back and watched it again last night. Like, when Jules shoots him, technically, in the scene, like, it doesn't look like the guy on the couch is getting shot. It looks like he's just, like, turning away from the gun. It doesn't really look like he's dying, which is why I got confused. I was like, wait a minute. Did he really shoot him? It kind of looks like a bad editing job. Like, it was yeah. like, 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 like the gun effect came, came in post-production, but they couldn't really match it with, with what was going on. And, right. it, yeah, it is kind of clunky. It is clunky, but, uh... But I also like it's kind of fabric a little bit. I did like that you brought up the the line from uh, from Vince the Diner where he goes like, you know, Jules, if you give this guy fifteen hundred dollars, I'll shoot him on general principle. Now this is the same guy, bro, who spent the exact same amount of money on three hundred grams of heroin and who won't pay five dollars <laughs> for a shake. So uh, <laughs> maybe there's a reason why he has that water cash because he don't like spending it, bro. That's why. Exactly. But uh, but it's just great stuff, bro. Uh, Dolph, do you want to add anything to any of this? <laughs> 
yeah, no, I, I do, I do love that opening scene. Uh, well, after the, did I break your concentration? As it escalates, uh, he goes into, what does Marcelo Spalos look like? Does he look like a bitch? And that, that scene has me dying every time I see it. What ain't no country I have ever heard of, motherfucker? <laughs> they speak English and what? What? Say what again? Say what again? But 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 the best part about that scene, bro, is that like any of us would say what if he say, does he look like a bitch? Like you would be like what? And then you would get shot after you got the warning not to say what again. So this motherfucker did it intentionally just to get him to say what, so he could shoot him in the goddamn knee. And, you know, it's like. That, that, that's a mindfuck of a statement, you know? Does he look like a bitch? And, and what are you going to say after that other than what? What? Like, what do you mean? And then bam, you know? And so, yeah, it's, it's great stuff. Um, I also like the fact that, again, this kind of supports both of you guys' argument that, that Vincent and Jules do know each other for, for a while because as soon as Jules starts his rhetoric on the on the speech, the Ezekiel speech, Vincent pulls out his gum, bro. He knows what's about to go down. So he's been through it before. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I, I love how, like, there's a whole aspect of, of, of John Travolta's performance that, that that's not even on, on, he's in the background the whole time, but if you pay attention to what he's doing in the background, he's actually performing as, as Vincent Vega. He's not just an actor standing, looking at, at Samuel L. Jackson doing his performance like other actors would do. He's actually still in character doing shit, you know? He, he's, he's agreeing with them, he's like nodding his head, and then as soon as he starts that first line of the Ezekiel sentence, he pulls out his gun and he gets it ready to blow this guy off. So right. that, that's another thing that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and, I do, and I do love how there's a certain sense of respect, like the way Tarantino framed the entire speech, because Vince is not even, he's, he's very, he's not even in the, in, in the frame when this is all going on. He's kind of in the background. So it's almost like he took a back seat because this is Joseph's part of the movie, you know? Right. But to kind of segue a little bit, but I mean, we're still in the same scene, but I do want to kind of segue into the uh, into the briefcase now because you know while this is going on with uh, with Jules and Brett, um, not Brett Clark, it's Brett the Pussy. Here. <laughs> um, uh, so well, no, this, it, is, this is Brett or Brad? Brad. I think it's Brett, bro. I think that's his name. Okay. Um, so Vincent. On the other hand, finds the uh, the briefcase, Marcellus Wallace's briefcase, in, in the cover of the sink or wherever it was, and uh, the combination is six six six. Of course, that's pretty. I mean, that's not very subtle at all. Um, it's also really a shitty combination. I mean, anybody could guess it. Like, you just put three numbers in a row when they could open <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Probably the worst kind of password. Um, it's like uh, space balls. The combination is one, two, two three, three, four. four. <laughs> And so he opens the briefcase, and it is so wacky the first time you see it because you have that golden glow from the briefcase. Like, what the fuck is inside it, bro? And he's looking at it like, mm, you know, like this there's some there's something good in there. Um, yeah. And which, which by the way, like, and I discovered this after I I finally saw Killing Me Softly. I think was no no oh Kiss Me Deadly, Killing Me Softly. What the fuck am I talking about? Kiss Me Deadly. When I finally saw that on the the Criterion Blu-ray that I bought, I finally saw where that was taken from, and. Uh, so, for one of the, my complaints when I first saw the movie all those years ago was they never told us what was in the briefcase. And I was wondering for like a long time after I saw it, I was like, why didn't they tell us what was in the briefcase? Like, I want to know what was so important. And then when you finally, I finally saw the interview with Tarantino where he's like, you know, you're not really supposed to know, it's just a MacGuffin. You know, it's like, oh, okay, whatever. But, uh, you know, that, that whole <laughs> sequence is like, is, is, is wacky. It's Marcellus' soul. Don't you know that? 
I, <laughs> I, I never bought that. That uh, that always was stupid to me. And then also, and then also, uh, when when a uh, pumpkin tells them what's in there, he says, "My boss's dirty laundry." You know that that that's why all these rumors get started. The six six six, all that shit. You know. Right, but so, uh, I, so. I just thought that whole thing was was just was it was it was a very it was much of a letdown when I first saw it, but then as I understood what the what the purpose of that was, I was like, oh okay, that I guess that makes sense. You know, it, it's just wacky, like you know, because how he just stylized it, like taking it right from Kiss Me Deadly with the glow from the briefcase. That just makes yeah, it really they, awesome. Give this mythic type of characteristic. Right, I, I agree with it. I agree with it totally. I, li- I like when when. Filmmakers do that, and they kind of make you fill in the blanks, you know. And they give you enough to fill in the blank. None of this fucking, you know, leaving you hanging. So I, I totally agree with that, with that, with the use of that, of that gimmick. Because, because after this movie, again, like we said earlier, a bunch of other movies started doing it too, and it's like, okay, we get it, you know. But, yeah. uh, but, but yeah, I, I'm totally okay with it. It doesn't detract from the movie. I oh, mean, who no, cares? At, yeah. at the end of the day, who cares what's who in cares? The, with the briefcase? Because that's not really what the movie's about. Exactly. Um. And then uh, I think after that is is the uh, is a sequence of Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife, where we see Uma Thurman for the first time. And uh, you know, and this is the other, um, I guess, most quoted or most infamous scene of the movie is the dance contest. Where uh, and it's funny because I was when I was researching the movie uh, earlier, everybody was talking about how like oh this dancing was put in on purpose for John Travolta to evoke Saturday Night Fever. And I'm like, well, that's not what I saw the first time I uh, I saw this movie. Or even last night when I saw the dancing, I didn't think of Saturday Night Fever. I, I get why people would say that, you know, but when I'm watching this movie, I'm watching that dance sequence, I'm not thinking about Saturday Night Fever. I'm thinking about John Travolta and his wacky twist dancing. You know, that's what I'm thinking about. So, yeah. uh, But what do you guys think about this whole sequence? Not, not just the dancing, but like just the whole that whole segment. Oh, I love it. I mean, this is where this is where John Travolta was nominated for an Oscar for this section of the movie right here because I don't know if he took one for the team or what, but the guy looks legitimately fucked up in, in this entire <laughs> fucking sequence. You know, he goes in. I love when when he when he goes into Jack Rabbit Slims. He has a combination of like like marking out over what he's seen, but also kind of freaking out at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Like he like there's a part of him that like loves the atmosphere of of Jack Rabbit Slims. But there's also a part of him that wants to believe that these motherfuckers are the real people that are being, you know, the actors are playing, <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah. there's a part where he starts pointing at one of them, like, is that really? And then he keeps on walking. And then you have that great shot of the entire Jackrabbit Slims, you know, just to show that that was more for the set designer, you know, because yeah. you want to show what they did. And um, yeah, man, oh, I, I love that scene. I love the banter between, between, uh, between Uma Thurman and John Travolta here, I think it's great. I think it's again very organic. Yeah, it's very organic, know. very grounded too. Like you know, and it's and as I'm watching this again, I'm really picturing like a real conversation like that. You know, where she says to him, you know, don't you don't you hate that? And he's like, what? Like that uncomfortable silence. You know, like when you're trying to think about what to say next. Like that's such that's a right. real converse. That's such a real conversation. That's bro. right. And and I also I also love the way they work off because we've all been in this situation where you meet somebody. Who, are, who you already have a, a kind of an idea of how they are or the perception of them, you know, because some of the people told you, and and you and you start peeling at the layers as you as you hang out with them and get to know them, and you start noticing that that's not true at all, you know. And I love that that whole diner scene is there to do just that, you know. They, you know, uh, uh, Vince is kind of tripping up because he heard about Tony Rocky Horror and and what happened last time Tony Rocky Horror went out with 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 uh with Mia, and then but. 
me, it's like that's bullshit. You know, it's like you know that, that's just that's just the sewing circle getting together and just you know gossiping. Right. And then and, and, and then Mia also has her own perception of, of, of Vincent, and then she kind of starts noticing the real person too. So it's like it's just a great scene, and and it's a very like I said, very grounded scene, and it's something that we could all relate to. We've all been there in, in that kind of situation, so I think it works perfectly. Yeah, I like uh, uh, real quick, bro. The uh... We brought up Tony Rocky Horror, bro. The half black, half Samoan guy got thrown out a window. What I'm thinking about is like, you know, would Haku let himself get thrown out of a window? No, fuck Hell that. Hell no, man. bro. He'll eat fuck Marcellus up. Wallace, bro. Yeah, so, but fucking, uh, what's his name? Uh, Roman Reigns is also Samoan, and you know he'll get thrown out of a window. He'll get thrown out of a window. Like what's that, bro? So, but, so a couple, couple things, a couple things I wanted to say about the diner sequence. One, I agree that 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 this is like. A great, um, a great uh, exhibition of acting on both Travolta and Uma Thurman's part. It actually made me, like, I, I went into like a little bit of a in the mid '90s. I went into a little bit of a John Travolta fanboy air, like, uh, uh, period. Because I don't know if that, that thing exists. Like, what is that? I was just like I just thought he was the coolest guy ever, just based on this one movie. Because like I hadn't like really ever. I think I'd seen Grease, but I had not really cared about it. I don't think I'd ever seen anything really else. But then you know after this, he did Face Off and he did Broken Arrow and he did all those movies. So I went through this like little phase where I thought he was just the coolest actor. And then eventually he did Battlefield Earth. I was like, nah, fuck that. Uh, but yeah. um, but so I, this 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 was a really great scene, and you could tell, like he could still dance, like he could still. 20, 30 years later, he's, he's still, you know, doing well. But um, one thing I will kind of uh, call this movie out on is I think this movie did something that I'll never forgive it for. And that is like popularize the idea of 50s themes diners because they're everywhere now. <laughs> and I can't stand them. I can't stand them. Because really? every time you go I in, actually, one I like them. Every time you go charming, in, bro. I, I, hate I like them. Because every time you go into one of those things, you're going to see the same three people. You're going to see James Dean, you're going to see Elvis, and you're going to see Marilyn Monroe, as if they're the only fucking people that existed in the 1950s. Well, that's it's true. So <laughs> you're right. You're right about that. Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I, um, I, was, I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, there's one thing I, I, I've always been a little confused by. If you follow the chronology of the movie, the bonding situation and the um, uh, the scene where, where they kill Brett – uh, that takes place the morning of. Uh, are you, you going to say that the, yeah. the, the, the date that he takes me on, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. The whole I reason. Think, go ahead. So the whole reason it takes her out is because Marcellus is out of town, right. right? But he's back the next day because that the fight is the next day, isn't it? No, 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 no. The fight is not the next day. It's not specified because. Um, uh, Mia tells as as Vincent, how have you been? But they they he, she asked in a way where they haven't seen each other in a while. Remember that scene where where they run into each other in the hallway? Yeah. Yeah. In the uh, at the after the fight, right? Where she goes, oh again, I thank you for taking me out again, or something. She said, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So so it's not really specified. I thought you, I thought your main beef and the biggest plot hole of this fucking movie is why Winston Wolf is at a party at fucking seven in the morning, bro. That's the biggest fucking <laughs> plot hole. <laughs> He's at, he's, at a, he's at a fucking party with a, a, tux, a tuxedo party, a gala event, at 7 in the morning. That's a huge mindfuck, bro. <laughs> the, only, the only thing I could think of is that they party so hard that they, they were partying from the night before. But noticing the crowd and the age bracket of that crowd, it was a very upscale crowd. I doubt it, bro. And I love how he's taking the notes, bro. He goes like, you know, Jules, Black, 
Vince White. <laughs> no, and my favorite, my favorite, one body, no head. That's my favorite. One body, right no there. head, bro. That's, that's my favorite right there. Very professional. Like, he's everything is so methodical with this guy, which is, right. again, we're going to get to the wolf right now because it's a, it's a little bit of a cameo, but he steals the fucking show, dude. He's awesome. Right. <laughs> it's freaking awesome, bro. But, uh, but yeah, but the the whole diner sequence is infamous for the for the dance contest, and then uh and then after what happens after that with the uh, with the heroin overdose. So she finds uh, she's wearing his coat, and she finds his bag of heroin, mistaking it for cocaine, and she snorts it, and ODs on him. And so he comes out of the bathroom. She's like, "Oh fuck me, fuck me, bro!" He's like he's about to kill the boss's wife. And again, and again, that bathroom scene. Again, I know a lot of people could relate to it. You know, you're with a hot girl, but. There's certain boundaries you don't want to cross, but there, but for some reason, life has both of you guys in a situation where things could get out of control, you know, sexually. So you go to the bathroom and you give yourself the pep talk because you know, thinking with your little head in that moment is gonna get you in trouble. You know what I'm saying? So so you go in there and I love that speech. You know, just have a couple of drinks, go home, jack off, and call it. You know? Yes. And, uh, <laughs> yes. You're like, go ahead, have your drink. You deserve your drink. Oh, you that's know? right. You deserve your drink. Like, yeah, you I deserve love your drink. You know, just say thank you, have a good night, jerk off, and that's it. You know, <laughs> nothing you can do. <laughs> and, and Says, then, and uh, that's all you're gonna do. Yeah, that's all, cause that's yeah, it'll be in deep shit if that, if it does something else. But then as he comes out, you know, she she's noted that heroin, and remember, it's it's a fucking madman, as Lance told the It's madman, yes. It's not the uh, the Colombian or the German. It's the <laughs> madman. So. Uh, <laughs> No, not, not the Trump, the Mexican. It's the Mexican and the German, and then it's the madman. Bro, what about this fucking hypocrite tells him? And I love what he goes, what does he say? Uh, but for you, 1500 no, 300 But those are friend prizes. The friend I love prizes, that line. bro, yeah. I love that line. And then he's like, I'm going to give you out of my own personal stash. Dash. First of all, everybody knows that a dealer doesn't do any of the drugs, so that's already a little bit of a semi-thing right there. But, but um, yeah, dude, so that, that always pops me. But uh, that leads us into the next portion of the film. With Eric Stoltz again. But, but it was about that scene you just mentioned again, that kind of reminds me when I was watching it last night. It reminded me of uh, the, the, the similar sequence with, uh, with Franco and uh, Seth Rogen in Pineapple Express. Because it kind of had that similar vibe. You know, like he's there just to do the, the, get, get the drugs and leave. And he's trying to be like his buddy buddy and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What's well, a very different scenario. Right, yeah. So, um, and then, yeah, so then uh, G.O.D.'s. You know, he calls uh, he calls Eric Stoltz, who's watching TV in his bathrobe again. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he lets it lay for like 20 times. Eating eating fruit brute, which is a way old school cereal. Yes. That like Doesn't that I was like, anymore, oh my god, right? fruit brute. Yeah. They don't make fruit brute anymore, I don't think. That was like a I think like an 80s cereal, right? Or maybe early 90s. No, I I, sure, I ate fruit brute when I was a kid, so I was yeah. uh, I was I popped for that. Now now for this portion of the movie. This is a fucking uh, Rosanna Arquette fucking show right here, bro. Because she's fucking awesome in this fucking uh, portion of the movie. Um, and also, it's, it's shot... He switches it up because now it's shot more like a documentary. Did right. you guys notice that? How, like, as soon as as soon as you hit the, the, the Lance story portion where, where, uh, where Vincent goes right to his fucking porch perch, pretty much, the yard outside and crashes his car. Um, uh, well, he, they he doesn't actually crash it because they don't actually show it crash. He just kind of parks right on the lawn. Right. Um, but uh, no, it's it's he crashes it because you can see that like oh the, you, you hear it you hear it that's you right hear you hear it, the yeah. you hear it but you also whenever you see him get out of the car you can see like the the hood is damaged yeah they just didn't have the money to show the actual crash I guess so um 
So so as soon as as soon as it switches to that, all of a sudden it's very much like a documentary. It's a shaky cam. You know, I love how he used that strategy where like you you hear like um like like Judy, she's she's screaming, but you, but the but the microphone's not on her. You hear her in the background again, trying to get the trying. It's a very tense situation, and you're trying to get the viewer into the situation, and so it's it's, it's shot more documentary style than than than, than cinematic. So um so I love that aspect of the film, and then of course this this this, this portion. Uh, because we're dealing with a very dark subject, which is a drug overdose. He 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 uses a lot of comedy during this part, and to it just the, mood, yeah. the, the the balance is so great. It, it works perfectly in this scenario. You know, I mean, you're talking about uh, you know the 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 book. I ain't never seen no book. The, the, the black book. I ain't never seen, what what book? And then uh, and then of course the uh, what was it? The uh, I, I need a black magic market. I don't have a black a pen. A, Give me something. While all this is going on, like the friend is on the couch smoking the bong, bro. Like I didn't notice that until yesterday. Like she said, she was just the one from before when he did the drug deal. Like she's still on the couch smoking a bong. Yeah, Yeah, Trudy. Yeah, she's still on the couch, like just in the background. Like and she's she's not reacting to any of this. And I love (laughs) it. That reminds me of one of my other favorite lines. Is like, which one's Trudy? The one with all the shit in her face? No, dude, that's my wife. And then they both pop because they both know how ridiculous she looks, which is my favorite part. Um, so, so yeah. So then uh, uh, Lance is like, um, he's like, okay, okay, okay. You, 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 you gotta, you gotta go in a stabbing motion three times. And then fucking Vince is like, you, you mean I gotta stab her three times? No, it's just one good time. One good and time, she, bro. You gotta pass the breastplate to her heart. Yeah, and then again, like Adolfo was saying, you got that screwball comedy, you know, back and forth witty dialogue going, and just the performances are so fucking amazing. And um, you know, what was the other part that I, that I love? There's so many parts of this movie. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's like you know, you give her the shot. No, you give her the shot. Yeah. No, you can. The day I bring another thing, bitch, to your house, then I'll give her the they shot. Don't give her the shot, right? <laughs> not, not you give her the shot. And he's like, fucking Vince is just he fucking he got he got checkmated on that one. So he just takes the fucking big ass lock, and it has to be so cinematic, bro, with this fucking needle. You know, it's a big ass fucking tube and shit with the long ass needle. <laughs> And then of course the tension builds, and then they and then Tarantino uses a close up on all the characters we've been seeing, you know, Judy, uh, fucking Lance and Vincent, and then even fucking Trudy, and then he fucking hits her with it, and she comes back, and then uh, Lance is like, you know, if you're okay, say something, and she's like something, something. and then they and then they end this whole fucking Three Stooges segment, bro, with a that was fucking trippy, and that's, <laughs> and that's the end of that segment, bro. What yeah. a great fucking segment, brother. Yeah, this, this was the Oscar-winning segment right here for, right. Here. This is the, the main event, bro. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of things going on here. There's very, there's very like when they're arguing and they're all panicking. There's very little cuts. It's all, it's all one take. Not all of it is one take, but a lot of it is. So it's, I, I, you could tell there was a lot of improv and a, a lot of shit going on, and it's just like. Great actors just doing what they do, and it's, it's it's a great scene. And then it's so it's so like it's in a it's it all happens in the living room, you know. Which that's one thing about this film that it has a lot of claustrophobic elements to it because you have the whole the whole bread situation is very claustrophobic, and so is this scene. So um you know, I don't know if he was trying to say something with that because there there is a lot of there is even later on with Zed, you know, they're in a very tight space too. Or maybe it was just budget reasons, you know. And we're trying to read more into it because they didn't have the kind of money to. To give have elaborate sets, right, exactly. But uh, but after that, like he takes her home, and then they basically agree never to speak of this again, because then it's both their asses with Marcellus. Um, and yeah, then after but that, like, 
Vincent says, I highly doubt that. And he's right. Let's be real about it, you know. She, yeah. she, she, she might get her allowance cut down for a week or so, or maybe a month, but this motherfucker's going to the grinder if he finds out. He's going to Joe's truck and tell that's where he's going. <laughs> he's gonna go. He's gonna go wherever fucking. He's gonna send Zed, bro, with a couple of motherfuckers get medieval on him. Right. <laughs> but uh, but after that scene, you get the uh, the flashback, the prelude to the gold watch with our boy Chris Walken, bro, with Max Shrek talking about putting watches up asses, and then yeah. uh, and then you get the uh, and but chronologically after this, you get the uh, the scene with um that was the prelude to Vince Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife where. Mar- Marcellus is telling Butch to throw the fight, you know, and he's talking about how, like, you know, he's giving him the, the cash, however amount it was, and he's like, you know, don't let, you know, that thing's gonna stink for you, that's called pride. You can't let pride, you know, dictate your life, or whatever he said to him, right? So, uh, fuck pride. Fuck pride, right? Exactly. But, so, but, I, but, but the whole, the, the thing right here is, um, it's not so much of what Marcellus is telling Butch, it's Butch's reaction to what he's hearing, and, again, great acting by Bruce Willis because you get a sense of desperation uh, and also you get a sense of pride like this man has pride as a man you know what I'm saying and he's being uh, you know Marcellus is talking down to him and belittling him a little bit just by telling him to take a dive but there's something in, in, in Butch's life that we never get told that he needs that money you know what I'm saying so he has to take it so you see um, just, just in that whole thing with, with Al Green playing in the background which is a great you know song for this portion of the film um, you, you, it shows how conflicted Butch is, just just, just without without no word, just his his performance facially, and you know he in it you see kind of desperation, you see hatred, you see anger, uh, you know you, you see disappointment in himself and in fucking Marcellus. Everything is being expressed by 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 uh, Bruce Willis in this scene. So again, great performance. Right, and um, and then what ends up happening is. During the actual fight, he actually wins when he was supposed to take a dive, and he actually kills his opponent, which he didn't mean to do apparently, but he kills the fucking guy. And no, I no, 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 no. They never fight, right? They, because uh, oh yeah, they're in between rounds. Is, was that what it was? I thought that during the fight, like he he killed him, like he knocked him out, and then he ended up dying. I thought that's what happened. No, no, no. Actually, what happened was that. He he ends up leaving before the fight starts, and then this motherfucker dies of a heart attack. Oh, is that what it is? Okay, because yeah. I, I, I saw it differently. No, that's not what happens. Go ahead. I, I, I always took right, it that he, he killed see. him in the ring. All right, let's find out, bro. Hold on. Let me let me look this shit up. It says, no, no, uh, because, because, because in the cab... Anyways, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, it says here, a butch double-crosses Marcellus and wins the bout, killing his opponent in the process. All right, because he's 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 kind of surprised when he hears the news on the radio. Yeah, because I don't think he right, when he knocks him out he doesn't it, know he's dead yet. Yeah, when he knocks him out, it's like as soon as he's announced the winner, he like bails, he bounces, so he doesn't. Yeah. He, okay. he doesn't realize that he's dead because he just takes off right away. With the so money. like, because the because whenever because when uh, Maria Villalobos is sitting Esmeralda in the Esmeralda Villalobos, bro. Oh yeah, Esmeralda. Villalobos, uh, which me and Danny always pop with, because that's how a white guy would say it. Villalobos. <laughs> Villalobos. <laughs> uh, whenever, he, whenever she's sitting in the car waiting for him, she has the fight on the radio, and the, the announcers are talking about how he just won by knockout. And, and again, 
we've been talking all night about the influences of Tarantino, from the De Palma to the documentary. What do we see here? Film noir. This is a very film noir yeah. style uh, segment here, including the old fucking 1950s taxi cab and uh, and the and the fake street and the, and the background as, as they're driving, um, and, and just the dialogue is very film noirish. So again, you see the influence sprinkled throughout the entire movie. And uh, I believe the idea here, I mean, in, in the story, was that um, after word got out that Butch is going to throw the fight, he actually went to the bookies and bet for him to win with the money that Marcellus gave him. So now he's, like, swimming in money at this point. He just has to go collect. But uh, but now he has a price on his head, and, and Marcellus is coming after him. So they have to skip town with uh, – he and his girlfriend have to skip town at this point. But uh, And everything's going good except for his dumb girlfriend forgetting the gold forgetting watch. The watch. Bro. And he cuts a promo on her before he goes to get him, bro. <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> he starts smashing the TV, bro. Like, you forgot to watch. And he and, starts, and, like, trashing and, the room, bro. And, of course, my favorite line during the taxi scene is, uh, Booch, what does it mean? There's America, honey. Names don't mean shit here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he actually, he, he actually, this motherfucker in that little-ass cab, he 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 he, un, he undresses. He takes off all the boxing gimmicks and everything, and he throws down regular clothes all in one shot, bro. That's pretty yeah. good too. While he's doing the dialogue. Exactly. So, but, um, but yeah, so Fabian forgets the, the gold watch, so he has to go back to the apartment and get it. Um, and that's when uh, he he when he gets back to the apartment, that's when he realizes. Okay, he first for some reason he I guess he realized I think he can think that the coast is clear. So she gets the pop tarts out from the from the cupboard and starts like heating them up. But that's when he notices the gun on the counter, and he hears the toilet flush. Yeah, <laughs> which is Marcellus's gun. Yeah. So then uh, that's when Vince comes out, and that's uh, so he hears the toilet flush, and Butch grabs the gun, ready to pop whoever's in there, and it turns out to be Vincent, poor Vincent, bro, and he gets blown away by Butch. No, 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 but 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 you're not doing this injustice because it's not it's not even it's not even that it happens like you said it. it there's some moment like I don't think. Do you actually think Butch wanted to kill him, or do you think the noise of the Pop-Tart freaked him out, and then he just shot the, the gun? Because because they have That's a moment true. together. They they yeah. do have a moment, they're, and they're and and in that other, moment, yeah. and in that moment, of course, it takes you back to that scene earlier that you didn't really talk about when they meet Paul and they talk shit to each other. When when now I've always wondered this: why the fuck was Vincent so goddamn aggressive on poor Bush? Like it seemed like they had history. Yeah. Like even even because he's like, I'm not your friend, Beluka. Like, and he's very aggressive towards them. I know he's in a bad mood for the fucking shit morning he's had, but uh, <laughs> but it's still it's still kind of uh, it's kind of fucked up, you know. And of course, Bush goes up to the counter to buy some red apples, which is classic Tarantino. Yep. And then and then um uh, and then fucking. He tells, excuse me, friend. I'm your friend, Paluka. And then he's like, what? You heard me, Punchy? Like, what the fuck? Where does this come from? You know, what an asshole. So, and, then of and, course, and, then, and, and then, of course, Butch will go outside and key his fucking key car, his car you know, yep. for being a fucking dick. And then, and then again, it, it's, all, it's all there to lead us to this scene at the end where they both come out and they see each other for a while, you know, for a few seconds. And have a moment. And then the Pop-Tart comes out and it scares Butch. Yeah. And then he, 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 he hits the trigger and he kills Vincent, but I don't know if his intention was to kill him. I, I guess he had to kill him because, yeah. you know, but, but, I mean, uh, so, yeah. a, little, a little ambiguous, but, you know, I kind of just saw it as, okay, you know, I guess he was just using the, the Pop-Tart as kind of the signal for the gunshot, and then that's when he just shot him. I didn't think it was, you know, he thought about it. I mean, like you said, he, I think he had to do it. And then so, also, go ahead. 
so this is completely uh, not really even uh, remotely important, but I always get a kick out of the fact, and this is probably done for budget reasons because they didn't want to pay like licensing or whatever. Pop-Tarts. But that it's not Pop-Tarts. It's like the generic grocery store brand Pop-Tarts. And I just find that kind of funny that that's what he's eating. I don't know why. I just always pop for that. And, and also, um, God damn, I forgot what I was going to say. Never mind. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> oh, all right. Anyway, so, um, so Butch leaves you. Oh, no, no. I, I remember now. So, so you have like a, again, you have like a butterfly effect uh, theory going on here because had Jules not left, I don't think that would have happened because Jules would have been there right. to take out fucking, you know, Butch, uh, Butch you know? So, so again, it, it makes you think about things like that as you're watching the movie and as you've seen it over the years, more of these questions start coming up, you know. But, uh, but anyways, keep on going. Yeah, so, uh, so Butch has his watch, and now he's driving back to the hotel. When, of course, just a, just a calamity, bro, a fucking calamity. He has a red light, and he sees Marcellus <laughs> crossing the street, bro. And then they have that moment with each other where they just stare at each other like, this motherfucker. <laughs> You motherfucker. And of course, you got fucking flowers on the wall playing in the background, which is like a song from like the fucking 50s and 60s and shit. So that's wacky. Um, one of the things that I wanted to sidetrack here, we brought it up a little bit earlier, was the soundtrack. Now, that's another thing about this movie. The soundtrack at the time also blew up huge. And, and the things like, like like all these songs, you know, uh, including Miserello and all that. They were around for years, right? I mean, he just went through his collection and he's got all these songs and these are the ones he wanted to use. But the the movie was such a, a pop culture phenomenon that all these songs became the, the Pulp Fiction themes. You know, everybody yeah. knows, like, oh, that's the Pulp Fiction song. Like, the, like Miserello, it's not Miserello, it's the Pulp Fiction song. Like, yeah. you, the, like, you have to have some, like, incredible hold on pop culture for you to take dominance of a song like that. That's big, you know, it doesn't always happen. I mean, and he so, did the same thing. I mean, to a lesser effect with Reservoir Dogs. I mean, there's so many songs from that, like "Stuck in the Middle with You" and uh, uh, "Little Green Bag," that are so like connected that's with right. that film. That's right. But I think I think it's a combination of like he gets all these obscure songs that have been forgotten through time. I mean, you know, I don't want to I don't want to say that Tarantino is this mad mad genius. I think it's also what he chooses. He's very wise in what he chooses in the sense that if you choose an old song that that, that hasn't been adapted mentally for anything else other than your movie, that's where you're going to connect it to. So he, he does that all the time. You know, um, he had never used a score before the hateful eight. And, and so for the, for that very reason, because, you know, you go through all his movies and, and, uh, and, um, you always think about the song with the movie, you know, except for Jackie Brown, that song that they use for Jackie Brown, that fucking, you hear like 10,000 times. Yeah. Um, that that one's not really because I had heard that song before and it's like it doesn't really connect. But every but every movie of his has one like you said like Reservoir Dogs, like like even Death Proof with the song before fucking Stuntman Mike's about to fucking kill those bitches. Like that yes. that song also you know you get connected to it. So um yeah so he has that he has the, the thing that he does that all the time. But this but this entire soundtrack became the Pulp Fiction songs you know um, all of them. And so that, that that was something I wanted to talk about a little bit because not only did the movie become legendary, the soundtrack was also one of the big ones, you know? Yeah, he purposely chose this type of music because he's just a big fan of rock and roll. Like, you know, uh, Miserloo is uh, considered like surf music, you know, from the 50s, but he doesn't see it as, he didn't pick it because it's surf music. Like, he just says to him, it sounds like rock and roll. That's that's what rock and roll sounds to Terrence. That's why he picked a lot of, of similar songs like that for the soundtrack. 
Yeah, that one. That that one. I remember from back in, that one in the Crow soundtrack. The Crow soundtrack is another one that yeah. that that was big at that time. You know, that's another thing. That's what I miss about movies nowadays. Like back in the day in the '90s, the soundtracks used to fucking blow up too, man. Like that was the thing. Like like you you would see the movie and then you would go to the Kmart or whatever and you would buy the cassette of the soundtrack. Yeah. You know, because you would come out all fucking jazzed up. Now it's like you know whatever. It's not even a big deal. Sometimes you know. Now it's like scores. Like I'll see a film score and it's like, oh shit, I gotta get that score. But but as far as soundtracks, they don't have that emotional impact like they used to. Bro, somewhere in my garage, bro. Because when I was a kid, I had like maybe four cassettes, and they were all soundtracks, bro. And somewhere in my attic, in the garage, there's a there's a box that has the cassettes for both Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, bro. The cassette. <laughs> you know, was, as as bad as those movies yeah. are, those soundtracks are really pretty good. Yeah. No, I. Yeah, I, but the but the but the the original Tim Burton Batman soundtrack is a real famous one. Oh, of course. Oh, Prince. Prince. Yeah, that, that that's a that's a classic. That's one of the like top ten soundtracks of all time, right there. And uh, and just to kind of get back on point, though. By the way, the uh, this scene with the uh, with Butch and Marcellus was also paired in the same episode of The Simpsons with the Royale with cheese. Um, so <laughs> it's a snake actually running over Chief Wiggum as he has donuts in his hand. But um, but yeah, so Bush sees him and immediately floors the car, bro, and he runs over Marcellus and ends up crashing into a pole, bro, with the, again, with the Honda. That, again, that sets up, we're talking about the calamity, that sets up the next you know, set of calamity that they got to work through, you know? And, it's bro, gonna, uh, and it, we thought uh, Vince was having a bad day with, the, uh, with, with Marvin, Fucking Bush and Dan Marcellus, bro, about to have a really bad day. But, now, uh, do you guys do you guys think that uh, that Fabian was kind of made this annoying character for this reason? Like, do you think that Quentin Tarantino like like purposely wrote her that way? Because she's pretty fucking annoying. You know what I'm saying? Bro. Like, yeah, and and and, 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 I, and I don't know if he, he made her like that because of the fact that this entire segment is kind of her fault. And, and you know, he's trying to kind of like, because if you're a guy, like that's how you're gonna react, like. You want to be mad at her, but you really don't because, you know, it wasn't on purpose and she's kind of innocent and, you know, she's got that quirkiness about her, but she's also very annoying and it's like, it, it, it kind of works with your emotions, you know, and it's like, if, if this bitch would have like, you know, gotten the damn watch, this wouldn't have happened. None of this. And you know what I love about that whole thing too is that, so like he, he freaks out in the, in the hotel, but then he calms down. He's like, it's okay. It's not your fault. I didn't really explain to you how special that watch is to me, so I can't blame you. And then, you know, he goes, and then when he gets stressed to leave, and then he goes, like, you know, here's some money, enjoy your breakfast, you know, I'll be back in a little bit. And then, and literally, the next thing, fuck, 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 I told him to get the watch, and like, he loses it again, bro. I love uh, that. Bro, <laughs> I, I bet you there's a lot of guys that can relate to that scene as well, bro. There's a lot of very relatable scenes in this movie. <laughs> I'm sure, bro, definitely. But, uh, so, uh, Butch is trying, he's limping away from the, from the scene, bro, and Marcellus is limping after his ass and shooting at him, so, um, Butch kind of takes refuge in this little shop that he finds, and it turns out, well, what's the guy's name, Maynard? Is that, that's the dude's name, right? Maynard? Yeah. Who, like, uh, so, he comes to the shop, and, and he's like, you know, what, what, what are you doing? He's like, just shut up, you know, and then Marcellus comes in, they have a, they have a fight in the store, and then, uh, just as, um, <laughs> Butch is about to kill him. Maynard puts the shotgun to his head, like, you know, you don't kill anybody in my store or some shit. And then he basically. Well, you're, you're being very, you're, you're very, being, you're very, you're being very politically correct as you describe that scene, bro. That's oh, right. 
Yeah, he says uh, uh, he says a lot of things, but uh, I can't repeat here. <laughs> he says a lot of things I can't repeat here, bro. So, <laughs> but uh, he knocks out Butch, and then uh, Marcellus is already semi knocked out. And then uh, when the the next scene, they're they're tied up in the basement and they're waiting on Zed, bro. So, uh, Dream, I don't know where to take it from there. It's like fuck. Think think about this movie and the way it's formatted, like. This motherfucker introduces two new characters, two new heels, like, in the fucking third act, like, out of nowhere. Like, where the fuck did these guys come from? You know, like, like all of a sudden, we're so, like, what happened here? So so I think that works. It's done on purpose because that's that's how that's how Marcellus and Butch would feel, right? Like, one minute, they're, 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 they're fighting each other, and the next minute, they're dealing with fucking Maynard and Zed, bro. Who the fuck are they? And the Gimp. And who the fuck are these people? Like, what the hell's going on? And I think I think that that's one thing about this portion of the film that I like is it gives you that sense of like being in a mind fuck, bro. Like what's going on here, you know? And that's real like, mind fuck, bro. Absolutely. And, and that's not even getting into the sodomizing part because that's late. But it's like you're like like by the time you make sense of what happened, it's over. Like what the hell? Yeah. And, and so um, it goes into some very weird like okay, like so many questions. Like you got this fucking guy who has a uh. A, a pawn shop who has this weird this is like a whole nother movie in itself bro like <laughs> like, like this guy Maynard has a pawn shop and this is guy Zed who evidently who is the sheriff of something bro a security guard because he's got this, the, 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 the uniform, uniform bro and, and, and they have this underground fucking cell or whatever where they sodomize men bro and, like, and they the have fuck? a guy dressed in latex like trapped out like, there bro a gimp, like a gimp like like what the hell is going on here, bro? But this is truly the what the fuck moment of the movie, bro. For real. Because <laughs> you're looking, like, at, and he's pulling out the gimp from like the little cage he has him in, and he's, he's looking at him get tied up. He's like, "What the fuck is this?" Here's <laughs> he's the, just, you know, he can't comprehend it. Here's the scary part about this portion of the film: Maynard and Zed, they they've done this before, and they're expecting to do it like 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 if it wouldn't have been Butch and Marcellus. It would have been somebody else. You know what I'm saying? Like, because right. they have, like, the gimp is there ready to fucking perform something, but he wouldn't have been down there if it would have been, like, like a spare of the moment thing. So, this is that, that's what, that's where you fucking, your mind starts tripping out. Like, this is some crazy ass shit going on here. To this, anyways, day, to this day, I still don't know what the gimp was supposed to be doing. Like, he was just like, tied up there, and that's it. Like, he was supposed to be no, I, I know, books, I get but that, like, but, like, what was his in, purpose? In their ritual. Really? They're like the rapist ritual. Like, what is his point? Like, I get that he's. I mean, I get that he's there. Like, fuck with us, right? And 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 like make us kind of go, what the hell is that? But in in theory, like, what is he supposed to be in doing? Kayfabe, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's true, bro. Oh, and I forgot to mention to the classic line with Maynard where he calls Zed. He goes like, the spider caught himself a couple flies. Right? Yeah. Which the Simpsons stole in that same exact episode too. So, um, but yeah, bro. And then and then it gets even worse from here. Um, so, like he does the uh, he does the old uh, the the Negan gimmick that <laughs> the eeny meeny miny mo. And by the yeah. way, when I was watching this last night, um, I just pictured it in Negan's voice with our boy Jeffrey D. Moore and going like, "My mother told me to pick the very." best one <laughs> and, and then he a uh and zed ends up picking uh marcellus so they literally take him into the other room slam the door 
while the gimp is tied up to watch Butch. And then you just hear all the noises going on. You don't really know what the fuck's going on yet. And then uh, Butch is able to free himself, knocks out the gimp after he tries to scream. And uh, <laughs> and then and then this this is the, this is the Tarantino like film buff, bro. He go Butch goes upstairs and he starts looking for like a weapon or something, right? Right. So he finds he the hammer, the chainsaw. Well, at first he's gonna leave, but then he like stops. Yeah. And, and and assesses the situation, and then he decides to go back and save him. So it's right. not like he did, that's not his first instinct. His first right. instinct is get out of there. Exactly. So like, but then he has this kind of like. You know, moral code, like you know, I that kind of kicks in. Yeah. Well, but but again, but as a storyteller and as a writer, you gotta kind of give him that that heroic, you know, moment, you know, because that that at the end of the day, I mean, I guess Butch is the real babyface of this story, because everybody's kind of an asshole in this entire movie except for Butch. I mean, even though he has little shades of being an asshole too, but you know, he's really the one that gets truly re- redeemed at the end because he goes back and you know he, he kind of uh, gets a clean slate, you know, with Marsalis. So, um, you know, but yeah, he could have just left them there, bro. Yeah, but uh, he has that moment of clarity. He's like, I better save this guy. <laughs> so then he goes upstairs. But, but, but also, up. okay, but also part of me is thinking, he's not just saving Marcellus. He also wants to kill these motherfuckers for what they just did to him exactly. as well. You know? yeah, there's a little bit of payback in that as well. So he's going through upstairs and he finds like the hammer. He finds the chainsaw, which I'm sure it was, was a reference to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He finds the fucking... Uh, the katana, which he ends up using, but he finds something else that I can't remember what it is. Uh, the baseball bat. Finds a yeah, baseball bat. Yeah, and then he ends up going with the katana, which, I mean, shit, like, just go to the old the old uh, Asian films, like Seven Samurai, you'll get the, the references to the katana, like Shogun Assassin, bro, which is a wacky one. Um, yeah. So he comes down. He opens the door and you find that Zed is sodomizing Marcellus, bro. Yeah, and we don't know. We don't, know. Like, and we don't know that's going on. Really, exactly, but like you kind of have to put two and two together. And Maynard's just standing there watching it, like he's getting off on it, bro. Like, yeah. like what the fuck is this shit? And then, like, you know, Butch kind of creeps up on him and just slashes him, like, right across the chest and kills him. And then, um, and then, uh, I, what happened after that? Like, uh, like Zed stops what he's doing after he slashes Maynard. And then, uh, what, what does, like, how does, uh, Marcellus get free? Does he just, like, stop? Or, like, I don't remember. No, no, what happens is that, um, uh, Zed's gonna go for the gun, and and uh, yes. and, and then and then and then Butch is like, hey, 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 you want the gun? You want the gun? And he but he has a sword right next to his neck by that point. Yeah. And then and, and then uh, um, by that point, Marcellus creeps up in the back, like in a very cinematic moment. You know, he creeps up in the back of Butch, and I guess you gotta think, oh, he's gonna he's gonna he wants to shoot Butch. Although we never really think that, but maybe that was the intent. But actually, he says, step aside, Butch. And then fucking he steps aside, and then that's when uh, Marcellus gives his whole dialogue about what he's gonna do to Zed. Yeah, but that's that's after he shoots him like in the balls, right, with the with the gun. Yeah, yeah, that's after he shoots him. Yeah, he gives him. Yeah, you're right. He he shoots him in the balls, and then he fucking gives a monologue, and that's it. And then basically he's like, so we're cool. He's like, yeah, we're cool. Two no, things. But I- no, no, before that, no, before that, this idiot fucking Butch is like, are you okay? And fucking, <laughs> is like, no, I'm pretty fucking far away from being okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line, bro. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, they're both in shock, so they're kind of, you know, yeah. it's, it's totally believable for Butch to ask him if he's okay after being sodomized right. by these fucking crazy hillbillies. guys, bro. And, uh, he... 
and it's like like two things like number one like you don't mention this to anybody you know and number two you know you leave town tonight you be gone and you stay gone you've lost yeah. your la privileges <laughs> i love what he said that but like, you lost your la privileges <laughs> and then uh and that's it and then uh butch leaves him and then you know he says he's gonna call his friends to get medieval on Zed's ass, so I mean we know he he's dead at that point. So uh, yeah, then, yeah, and it and it's not gonna be fast either. That's exactly, what the it's be slow and painful. So uh, yes. So so Butch just takes a Zed's motorcycle, Grace, and just he drives back to the hotel. It's not a motorcycle, it's a chopper. It's, it's a chopper. The chopper. You're right. Like, it's not a motorcycle, baby. It's a chopper. <laughs> Picks up Fabienne, and uh, you know, and he goes with that whole that that whole dialogue that I love. You know, where she's asking the questions. Like, he's not a motorcycle, he's a chopper. He goes, like, who does it belong to? A guy named Zed. What happened to Zed? Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead. Yeah. <laughs> and then they drive off, bro. Hey, no, they don't just ride off. Just because Tarantino knows exactly what we're thinking throughout all this, he plays the fucking Twilight Zone theme as they're driving off. <laughs> that's true. And, 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 you know, and, and you know, that little known fact, that's that's really the ending of the entire movie. Yeah, exactly. If it was Chronologically, this is the end of the movie. You're absolutely right, yeah. But, uh... We still got a couple of seconds to go, bro. Your favorite, the Bonnie situation, which we talked about it. a little bit earlier already. With the uh, so when this picks up, we we see the Ezekiel scene again, and this time though we see a different angle because there's somebody else in the bathroom, bro. And that's the other reference to the bathroom again. Like there's a guy that we don't know about the whole time hiding in the bathroom, waiting to come out and pop these guys. But okay, um, but here's another here's another thing. Like if you noticed, um. When they go back to these scenes, also when they go back to uh, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny, like the performances are different, and a lot of people, a lot of the early critics were saying how, how Tarantino made some editing mistakes, and Tarantino was, and I don't know if Tarantino was covering his ass or if he was right. I, I, I'm gonna go ahead and give him the benefit of the doubt. He's like, no, the reasons why why everything sounds different is because it's from a different point of view. Like like when when you have different perspectives from different people, you're gonna get different reactions. So um, so. Uh, it, the diner scene when 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 uh, what's her name um, uh, Honey Bunny when she, when she's when, when she says uh, get up motherfucker I'm gonna execute every one of you it's different from the way she says it in the beginning and the same thing like you said the the the, the CQ dialogue is different because it's a different take and it's from a different point of view it's from the bathroom this time right. so um, it, it wasn't editing mistakes as much as he wanted to purposely have different it, it looked different from a different perspective right. Yeah, of course, and, and, and it makes perfect sense too. But yeah. uh, so after uh, so after uh, Jules shoots uh, Brett the pussy, then the uh, then uh, this mystery guy just comes out of the bathroom and he's like, "Die, motherfuckers, die!" And he starts shooting at him, and he misses all, he misses all of his bullets, bro. None of us hit, and they have that look on their face like, "What the fuck?" And and the, and the the homage here is to uh, Dirty Harry with the fucking Magnum shit, the big right. ass gun. Right, and the Magnum. Yeah, I noticed that last night too. That it was a Magnum, and he completely misses both Vince and Jules, and he's looking at each other like, "Let's do it." And then he just pulled a gun down and popped this motherfucker, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's when uh, that's when Jules starts having his moment of clarity, like you know, like this is a miracle, you know, like, you know, you have to be you're smart enough to realize this is a miracle from God, and it's telling me this is a sign. Then I have to leave this this line of work, and Vince, like you said before, Vince is trying to tell him, no, it's, it's, we just got lucky, you know. But this is yeah. what that starts this Jules moment of like kind of uh, self reference and baby, yeah, baby, 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 bro. And but it was, is, but it is Marvin's fault. He should have told them there was a the guy in the bathroom, bro. He didn't. Exactly. 
But then again, okay, so let's say Marvin was gonna tell them after they after they shoot Brett down, Marvin is freaking out. So that's probably why he didn't tell them because he's just he's mumbling to himself and he's in the corner scared. So that's probably why he forgot to tell them. Right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense actually. But uh, so then uh, that and then they they drive off. They take Marvin with them, and that's when we, like we talked about already before. You know, I shot Marvin in the face. <laughs> we talked about how much we love that that sequence already. So, and you, oh, like I, you mentioned I, before, Drake. All we hear Marvin say is like, "Yo, I ain't even got an opinion." And then that's it. <laughs> and that's it for him, bro. That's it. And then, uh, like you mentioned before, Draven, like Jules pulls out his phone, and then uh, Vince thinks he's got to rat him out. Like, what are you? What are you doing? Like, what are you call- doing, man? I'm calling Jimmy. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, so, uh, Jules takes uh takes the body <laughs> of Marvin to uh, to Jimmy's place, and uh, Jimmy's pissed off. Like, like you realize what's gonna happen? Like, my wife is coming home at in three hours. And she's not gonna appreciate seeing any of this shit or whatever he's like. Like he has such such great dialogue here. He's not delivered, right? Because like you said, Tarantino is not really a great actor. Yeah, yeah. But again, that's what that, Jimmy Dimmick. That's what gives him his charm. The fact exactly, that he, he's exactly. not the best. That's what makes him But so so again, this is very relatable because a lot of times, you know, your friend will call you at an odd hours asking for a favor. You know, you know, it's, it's happened to me where it's like, you know, one of my friends gets. He's gonna fight with his wife, so he gets kicked out for the night. He calls me, and it's like, okay, well, come and crash. But you know, as soon as they get here, like, they're gonna, they want, they're gonna want to make this their home, right? And it's cool, like, like as a friend, you kind of want them, okay, do whatever you gotta do. But then they're still, they're still invading your space, you know. And that's the bottom line. And you get that vibe from Jimmy. Jimmy's like, ah, eh, you know, come, come on down, you know. It's, it's, and then as as things escalate like he's already reserved from the very beginning he allows him to show up he's already very reserved like just do what you gotta do and get the fuck out and um what's his name jules catches that 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 kind of vibe because jules knows jimmy so jules is trying to be very respectful and we have that that when they're in the restroom washing off the blood it's like uh, it's like god damn it doesn't have have to look like a goddamn maxi pad because because um Vincent gets, washes his hands, and then he gets the little the little towel, and he fucking starts wiping the blood on the towel and just making leaving it a mess. And and, uh, <laughs> and then Vincent tells him, man, this is hard to get off. Maybe if I had some lava or something, I could do a better job. Like lava is like one of those old school fucking soaps that they used to sell back in the day, like those big old thick ass bars and shit. And so that pops in when I hear that line. And then um and and that's when fucking Jules tells. Vincent to chill out, you know, because now Jules is getting annoyed at Vincent, because Vincent's very macho, you know, he's very, uh, he, he, yeah. he just, he, he, Vincent's the kind of guy that, that'll, you know, he'll, he'll, what is, what is the old saying? Well, he'll bite his nose off despite his face, you know, it's like, you know, in moments we have to be chill and cool, he's so prideful and like so macho that he still puts his fucking, his foot in his mouth all the time, and it would get worse when the wolf shows up. Yeah, but I love a, I love like Jimmy's dialogue, even though like we said, like it, it's just wacky the way he delivers, even if it's not really like well from an actor's perspective. Where he oh, goes, where well, he well, goes, the people, go ahead, go ahead. No, I say where, where he goes, like you know, I don't need to tell you how good my fucking coffee is, okay? I'm the one who buys it. I know how good it is. When Bobby well, goes the, shopping, she buys shit. Yeah. I buy the so, gourmet expensive stuff because when I drink, I want to taste it. But you know what's on my mind right now? It ain't the coffee in my kitchen. It's the dead blank in my garage. So yeah. <laughs> I love that whole that whole sequence, bro. Anyway, so, go ahead. No, so so Juice is trying to kiss his ass though, and Jimmy doesn't fall for it. 
Like, oh, this is some the nice very gourmet shit. shit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, and, Juice is, and, and Jimmy's like, are you fucking kidding me with this shit right now? And then that's what, but, uh, but then he really cuts the promo on him. Because uh, Juice tells him, you know, we don't want to fuck your shit up. He's like, he's like, you're not fucking my shit. You're fucking my shit up right now. Yeah. You're gonna fuck up my shit up big time right. when Body gets get home. home. So what are you gonna do? You gonna make some phone calls? You gonna call some people? Oh. Okay, call call him right now and then get the fuck out of my house. That's awesome, bro. That whole, like he goes from a one to a ten in like a millisecond. He just yeah. fucking explodes. Yeah, and then uh, then he calls Marcellus, and then then after kind of kind of bickering with him a little bit, it seems. He's like, because he thinks he doesn't get, he's not gonna get him out of this. He says, you know, I'm calling the wolf. And I love Samuel Jackson here, like Jules. He goes like, you calling the wolf? Well, why did you just say so in the first place? That's all you gotta say, bro. <laughs> and we and we see the last of uh, Mia Wallace. She's in the background. Yeah, she's in the background. Yes, I was gonna mention that too. And that's when we see the 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 wacky scene of a uh, of a uh, of wolf in a tuxedo at seven o'clock in the morning, writing down <laughs> Jules Black. Vincent White, you know, body no head or whatever he says. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then you see our boy Harvey Keitel, Mr. White. So, right. Yeah. No, no. He he tells him I'll be there in ten minutes, and then in the he fucking he does his uh what is it his accurate thing. He fucking zooms into the streets and it says nine minutes thirty six seconds later. Yes. No, I love that right before that where he goes like it's thirty minutes away. I'll be there in ten minutes. <laughs> I love that. And he still made it in nine minutes and thirty six seconds. Exactly. And then the way just the guy just takes control of the whole thing, and then like Vince is, is trying to get in his face. He's like, okay, I don't like when people say pretty please. They're like, excuse me. Like, I, I just don't like people telling me what to do. I don't like people bossing me around. And he kind of yeah. just says matter of factly with it. He goes like, well, you know, if I'm trying to save you guys, you know, from getting into shit, so you better do what I say and, I, and do what I say now. Whatever he says. It's just a great like back and forth between the two, and then finally he says like pretty please. He's like all right. <laughs> so, yeah, that, I just love the back one, and forth. One of big deals for Elias is when he tells them, uh, <laughs> "What is time you keep your spirits from jingling and jangling?" You know, making a reference to an old western movie and shit. Right. And so, uh, so I and then, so he makes them. <laughs> I love when he makes them go clean the car, bro. And uh, and Vince is still complaining, and then Jules is like, "Wait a minute." Why the fuck am I in the backseat picking up the brain chunks? We're switching. <laughs> yeah. And um. No, no, but 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 uh, but but Vincent's such a, like a he's like a like a like a child in this in this scene. It, it, again, it really exposes his character. You know, it's like he for some reason he's pissed off, all right, and he feels like he's being punked out by everybody. And again, it's not in his nature to allow that. He's a big bully. So so he tells Jules who's picking up the. You know, the, the guy's fucking skulls and shit. He tells him, I'm at a red, Jules. You ever get a race car in a red? And then Jules is like, you're in a red? I'm a TNT-blowing motherfucker, motherfucker. I'm the gun southern Navarone. You know, matter of fact, we're switching. You're picking up this nigga's skull. That's what he tells him. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful, bro. What are you thinking of all this shit so far? No, this is my favorite sequence in the movie, and it's just, and it's because of the it's because of the comedy of it. It's the funniest sequence in the movie, and like I said, it really reminds you of the um of like the old school uh, screwball comedies, uh, and they really like Vincent and Jules really do kind of act like like those old married couples in in those movies, like uh like bringing a baby or like the Thin Man, where they're just like constantly bickering with each other while trying to solve a problem. Uh, that that that's why that's why I think I appreciate that this sequence so much. 
Very, very uh, Shane Blackish, if you want to. Like, that's the kind of dialogue. You <laughs> that right. is true. That is the kind of you're stuff right, he likes bro. to do. But, but um, uh, oh, and then I also love the part. This is a, you're right. This is such a great scene where uh, where uh, the wolf asks uh, as uh, Jules, uh, is there anything wrong with this car? And then Jules, very matter of fact, is like, aside from the way it looks, the motherfucker's tipped off. You know. So he's established he drives an ugly ass car, but other than that, everything's pretty good. Uh, and, and, you're, then, and you're not hiding anything like there's no broken taillights like as far as I know yeah and then also uh, what about when he tells fucking uh, when he tells Jimmy that he wants a cup of coffee and Jimmy's like surprised about it like what the fuck he's like Jimmy I smell some coffee back there can you can you, can you set me up with a, with a cup and, and he's like, taking it back like yeah sure yeah, he's like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. How do you, uh, lots of cream, lots, lots of, sugar. of sugar. Yep. <laughs> just awesome stuff, bro. Just awesome stuff. And, and then when they have to get, get him changed out of their clothes and wash him, bro, he goes, and uh, Wolf goes like strip. And, and Jules is like, all the way to your bare ass. Is this necessary? <laughs> yes. You want to know what you guys look like? What? Like a couple of guys who just blew off somebody's head. <laughs> 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 and and this is the and this is the vindication for Jimmy, bro, because he's popping through all this entire scene, bro. He loves this shit. And like fuck this, it, fuck it, Vincent this... is wearing like the the college T-shirt, bro. <laughs> like look, yeah. like what do they look like? Like a couple of dorks. <laughs> I, I, I have one of those shirts, by the way. I Whatever, they're your clothes, motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. I love I love that little like that little like quip he goes back. These are your clothes, motherfucker. <laughs> And then uh, Wolf gives him the whole direction, like, okay, you're gonna take go to a place called Joe's Truck and Tow. You know, you're gonna talk to Joe and his wife, and not his wife, his daughter. I forgot what his daughter's name is, but uh, but uh, and then you should do exactly what he says. <laughs> and then uh, they take they take the car to the uh, to the to the to the dumpster to the the to the, the dump place. And uh, they get rid of the car, and it turns out, I guess, that the daughter is dating the wolf, bro. <laughs> it's so wacky, bro. Yeah, yeah, that, she is. Now here's the thing. You forgot to say that that um, who's driving the car, Vince or Jules, the the, the Acura. Uh, Vince is driving the Acura. Okay, so he remember he warns them. He's like, I better get this car the way I, I give it to you, or else Jules gonna be disposing of two, two bodies. bodies. Yep. <laughs> so <I love> that <laughs> That's right, bro. I forgot about that. And then uh, and, it's, and then I love right after like when they when they dump the car and then he introduces it to the daughter and then he's like you know you guys been through okay I give you guys a lift home where you live like Inglewood Redwood or wherever he says he goes like I yeah, see a future where two cab rides or whatever he says bro he's like fuck you guys you're on your own I'm not go- driving you that far so <laughs> what was yeah because Inglewood and Palos Verdes are way far from each other so he has a point there exactly. So uh, and I believe they're they're in LA anyway at this point. So like yeah, that's that's far apparently. So, yeah, well, there's 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 suburbs of LA, but they're they're pretty far from each other. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so of course uh, then the wolf has to stroke his own ego where he tells us, see that young lady, respect, you know, because that, that's what they gave him the whole time. Yeah, Mr. And it's like, wolf. just what did say? Just because you are a character doesn't mean you 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 have character. Raquel, bro, <laughs> that's her name. Fucking uh, Raquel is yeah. Joe's daughter. <laughs> Anyway, um, and then it's right after that they like, you want to get some breakfast? Yeah, sure. So that's when we come full circle now to the to the diner. Yeah. And uh, and that and it kind of and Jules is kind of reiterating to Vince again the whole the miracle from back in the from back with Marvin before. He's like, you know, this is the sign from God. I have to get out of here, bro. He's like, come on, man. It's just it's just luck. We we're just lucky. 
You know, and this then, scene, uh, this scene, this scene always gets me so hungry. But the, because that breakfast, the one that fucking the, Vincent Savage, eggs and bacon, bro, that is so good. Yeah. It always gets me hungry. And also, um, I like how I like how grounded this conversation is, as opposed to that big fucking comedy segment we just saw before this. Go ahead, Adolfo. I was about to say you skipped over like the best the the best part with the no man. I just don't think on swine. That's all. Oh yeah, that whole dialogue about the uh, yeah, Jules won't eat pork. He doesn't dig on swine. Like, it's a filthy animal. Like, so wait, so if a dog ate its own feces, would that be a filthy animal? Yeah, but I don't eat dogs. So, I love, yeah, that whole back and forth, I love that, too. Yeah. And the guy no, wait, wait, kind no. of breaks the conversation, though. He's like, I gotta go take a piss. And then while he's taking a piss or whatever he says, that's when we go back to the beginning with the pumpkin and honey money. But go ahead, Draven. No, what he was saying, because uh, he, he brings up the Green Acres pig, because he talks about how a dog got personality. And, and then he's like, well, what about pig? Well, pig? well, you know, it better be some charming motherfucking pig like the one on Green Acres. So that that's uh, that, that always pops in that yeah, line. Yeah, that pops me too, bro. But, uh, but now here's like the final sequence of the film. Like, you know, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny are holding up the restaurant. You're like, nobody fucking move! <laughs> I love how she says that, bro. She kind of just like goes crazy there. And uh, <laughs> they start collecting the wallets and they finally come to, uh, to Jules. And uh, he puts the wallet in the bag, but then he kind of has him, like, sit down and pulls the gun on him. So then you have the Mexican standoff where he's pulling the gun on Pumpkin. Honey Bunny has a gun on Jules. And then when Vince goes out of the bathroom, he has a gun on her. So it's like, it's like it's reminded me of Reservoir Dogs, like the ending of, of that movie. And then we get into the whole Ezekiel thing again, if you want to talk about that, Draven. No, I, li- I like this part where, uh, where Jules is, you know, he's causing a scene. He don't want to give him the wallet. Uh, or, I mean, the, the, the briefcase. And and uh, the manager's like, you know, give him the briefcase. Shut the fuck up, fat man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, there, there, there's so many, there's so many great scenes here because uh, um, when 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 Pumpkin finds the briefcase and, and Jules don't want to give it away, uh, Honey Buddy tells Pumpkin, "What's going on?" And then fucking uh, Pumpkin goes, "We got a vigilante here, honey." Like, all these words that are, like, from fucking exploitation cinema always pop me, you know? Yeah. We got a, vigil- we got a vigilante here, honey. And then, uh, shoot him in the face. Like, like without no reservation. Shoot him. No, execute him. That's what she tells him. Yeah, execute him. Execute him. But, uh, yeah, this is, this is a great scene, too. And, again, this is all about, again, Jules has his moment in the sun again. And you were talking about how Paul Calderon was going to get the the job of Jules. But this is the, the, the audition that got Samuel L. Jackson... His job back was this very scene right here. Once right they, they did this and they saw how good he was, they, then he got the job again. Because Tarantino had promised it to Samuel Lau and then Paul Calderon had done such a great job, they were going to give it to Paul Calderon and then all of a sudden Jackson came back with this scene and then they gave it back to Jackson. So uh, it all worked out. Yeah, but but here he has that moment of clarity. Like He does the whole Ezekiel thing, but it's a, it's a different it's a different reading. It's a whole different like way he's saying it. Because this is him, like, basically, you know, he's, like you say, he gives us the $1,500 and he's buying, like, his way out of this life, bro. So he says, you know, just take what you got right now and just walk away and nothing's going to happen, essentially. So, like, even, like, Pumpkin is kind of, like, taken aback by all of it. Like, he's letting him live. So... Yeah, it kind of relates the Ezekiel thing to his own, like, internal war, you know, what he's been going through. And that's how he kind of concludes that all the shit he's been saying all these years was more mostly for him. And that's why he's he's gonna he's gonna allow him to. This motherfucker's telling uh, Pumpkin, who's got a gun to his face, that he's gonna allow him to live because he's in a moment of change right now. So it's kind of uh, it's kind of weird how that works out. But then again, they both have guns on each other, so 
Yeah. Um, well, actually, at this point, no. At this point, only Jules has the gun on, on Pumpkin because he's gonna. He he he, he, he kind of grabs him when, when Pumpkin sees the briefcase. He gets so fascinated by what's inside that he gets distracted, and then that's what. Yeah. yeah, he pulls him in at that point. So. Uh, right. Yeah. So then, uh, Honey Bunny and uh, Pumpkin leave the restaurant with all the wallets they took. Like, that's it. And then, uh, Vince and Jules kind of just kind of regroup a little bit and they say okay we gotta deliver the briefcase to Marcellus and then that's where the movie ends bro chronologically well, wait a minute wait a, we're not done yet because there was another classic line that came out of this scene that was that was told by many many people during this time was uh, during the Mexican standoff uh, you know Vincent tells Pumpkin to tell the bitch to be cool tell the bitch to be cool, cool. tell the bitch to chill tell the bitch to chill chill honey buddy chill and, and then, uh, and then uh, Joseph's like we're all gonna be like three little Fonzies and how is Fonzie? Cool. cool. And that, that, that's a great fucking that's, line. That's a great line, bro. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh, but, but yeah. after this, the, the the movie ends, bro. Even though chronologically it leads into the whole the, the Butch scene where he's uh or Marcellus is telling him you know to throw the fight. But in the movie, the movie's over now though. So that's it. You get you get your credits, and that's Pulp Fiction, bro. So um, just real quick, bro. Um. So to kind of wrap up the, the the show, I just want to read off the accolades that this film got. For example, um, it won the uh, first of all in its premiere, it won the Palme d'Or at the Festival du Cannes of '94 or the Cannes Film Festival. Um, it uh, was nominated for uh, for Best Picture at the Oscars. It won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay, and I believe uh, both uh, not both. Um, uh, Jackson, Travolta, and Thurman were nominated for their acting at the Oscars as well. None of them won, but uh, Tarantino did win for uh, for original screenplay. Uh, Samuel Jackson, I think, won the BAFTA for supporting actor, and then uh, Tarantino also won the uh, best original screenplay at that as well. And at the Golden Globes before the Oscars, uh, Tarantino also won a uh, best original screenplay. On the AFI list of 100 Years 100 Films, it's ranked number 95, and then for the 2007 10 Year Edition is got bumped up a level to number 94 right now um so yeah but like it's just you know it's such an influential film like beloved by many like it's influenced like filmmakers like you know in the subsequent years it's been parodied it's been you know homage it's been copied like it's it's just it's so ingrained in pop culture like you said before draven that you know it's just one of those it's it's the epitome i think i mean we can put up there with a citizen kane with a casablanca it's the epitome of a five-star movie would you would you say that yeah, definitely, it's, and it's a pioneer in the genre, too. Like, it created its own genre, bro. I mean, it created, like, the, the term Tarantino knockoff became a thing in the 90s. So that's, like, movies became their own genre because of Pulp Fiction. So um, it, it was such a big deal, you know? I don't think this show, I, I can't express how much of a big deal this movie was and how it changed a lot of the dynamics of how studios do business as far as distribution and, and how they, they see the independent film market was because of this movie, you know? And so, um, again, and it also came clustered with with, a, with an entire indie movement. So the 90s were a pretty cool time to be a fan. Like, I, I, like from, like, 98 to, like, 2001, like, I was so in tune with this scene. Like, I was watching all kinds of films because of this film itself. Because, again, it's like, not only do you watch Pulp Fiction, but you start getting the references, you start seeing the interviews, and you go into that rabbit hole, and it gives you, there's all these branches of other films that you discover, all because of one movie. Like, very few movies have that impact on people. Right, and then the... Uh... Like, 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 even, okay, like, even terms like the Cannes Film Festival, like, 
when the fuck would you even hear that before 94 to the average person you know you that, that was more for the cinephiles like like and that became trendy bro that became mainstream because of this film you know all of a sudden film festivals became mainstream because of this film you know it's like it opened up a pathway to all these avenues and all of a sudden it told the mainstream audience that the way Hollywood does movies is not the only way to make a movie. You know, this is a new way to make a movie. And and right. and again, again, that's an effect because of all the young filmmakers that it inspired. It's an effect that we're still feeling to this very day. You know, there's a lot of people that that make movies now that were influenced by Tarantino, and they're making better movies. And we're all we're all reaping the rewards for that. You know, so it's, it, it's all good. Right. And uh, the other thing too, like you mentioned kind of earlier in the show talked about like you know the tarantino ripoffs the clones that uh popped up in the immediate aftermath and the one you mentioned i think was a two days in the valley bro i have a a list for you guys that i'm gonna go through and see if you guys have watched them or not but just uh uh once we get through with all this talk i'm gonna go through a couple of the knockoffs and see if you guys have seen them oh you can go ahead and do that now because we're in the knockoff part of the show anyway so uh okay so here's that list okay so here let's see if you guys have seen this one have any of you guys see Things to do in Denver. Okay, that's another thing. The titles for the for the Tarantino knockoffs had to be like a statement. They weren't just like like fucking like a title. It had to be wacky, bro. So this is things to do in Denver when you're dead. Have you guys seen that one? With uh, Andy Garcia? Yeah. I haven't seen that. I have, no. I have not. Okay. American Strays. No, I haven't seen that. <laughs> no. I know I know you guys seen this one. The Way of the Gun. Yes. I've heard of the way they're gonna. I haven't seen it though. I actually kind of like that movie. Okay, and of course, Goal. You guys seen Goal? I have seen Goal. I've seen Goal. Okay, uh, the Big Hit. I've heard of it. I haven't seen the Big Hit. I don't think I. No, I don't. Okay, Two Days in the Valley. That one, with Danny Aiello, bro. And, and what the what the fuck is his name in that movie? A fucking uh, the Dosmo Pizzo. Like what the fuck? That's a yeah. wacky name, bro. The thing about Two Days in the Valley was that that was. Like, James Spader was in it, and you could tell James Spader was fucking dying for that. This was total Oscar bait for James Spader, but the movie kind of flopped. And, again, these films, because they came, they were just seen as Tarantino knockoffs. That's the thing. Here, I'm going to keep on going. Amores Perros. You, seen, you guys both seen that one, right? I, I heard of it. I haven't seen it. Oh, You've what? never seen Amores Perros, bro? I, I've, no, seen, I've seen, seen that movie. I don't know if I'd consider that a knockoff, though. That is a knockoff, bro. See it again. It's, it's total like with the... <laughs> I just saw I just saw it like a year ago because I wanted to see all of uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu's movies. Iñárritu, as they call him, bro. On the Oscars, what? they call it. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever, bro. <laughs> and so, uh, I, dude, it's a total Tarantino knockoff, including stealing a scene from Reservoir Dogs, except you replace Mr. Orange with a fucking dog, bro. Um, and let's see here. Uh, Get Shorty. Well, that's based off of a novel, but well, it's certainly. Oh, I, I love Get Shorty. Be cool. Be cool. Sui- yeah. Suicide Kings. That's a, now. I know that's a Tarantino knockoff. I, I heard sure. of that one. Yeah. All right. Uh, eight, eight heads in a duffel bag. That's a. Oh knockoff. yeah. Oh, that's a wacky one. I remember that, bro. I haven't yeah. heard that title in years. Very bad things. I love very bad things, but it's also a Tarantino knockoff. That, that, that's Christian Slater, right? That, that's a, that's a big fucking calamity movie right there. There was How about one. the hooker, right? Yes. That's the one about the uh, hooker. Okay. The Boondock Saints. Oh, of course. Yeah, I, I love that movie. Reindeer Games. Oh, wait, 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 uh, Benny Affleck, I know the movie. Bro? I've never actually watched it. That's the oh. one Benny Affleck, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. And the Charlize Theron, I think. And, and then you have, like, like the usual suspects and, and Gross Point Blank. 
which you know they have their own originality but the certainly the structure is there right so you know with the big fucking reveal and all that shit but that but i don't think those were considered knockoffs as much as they just took a little bit of of you know the the pulp fiction vibe right <laughs> but uh, that's but yeah, but there was a lot of them, bro. Like that again, that created a whole genre, like that right. whole fucking out of out of order kind of storytelling, and and with the wacky dialogue, you know, and and the uh, and the calamities leading to the getting out of dodge, you know, all that shit. So, uh, so that was it, man. So again, it inspired a lot of other movies. Bro, in 1995, bro, like, Siskel and Eber did a whole show just about Tarantino, and he literally had, like, three movies, bro, at that point. And they did a whole episode just about Tarantino. Talked about Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and True Romance, I believe. I think that's an extra on the Blu-ray, if I'm not mistaken, that whole episode. Now, let, uh, me, say a little, now, let me say a little bit about Tarantino, because uh, he, like, every all his other con- contemporaries and peers, for better or worse, they all kind of flamed out, you know, and even, like, 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 I guess, you know, like, Robert Rodriguez kind of does shit now. Kevin Smith kind of does shit now. Like, Steven Soderbergh hasn't had a good movie in years, you know, and, and fucking Guillermo del Toro kind of doesn't do shit anymore. Like, like not good shit anymore. I didn't like his last movie at all, the Pimps and Peak one or whatever. Pimps and Peak, yeah. Yeah, I didn't like it at all. So it's like, but Tarantino, now here's the thing I'll say about Tarantino. Like, Pulp Fiction's my favorite movie of all time, but he himself got better as a filmmaker, you know, because he, 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 this is, this is like, this is like 31-year-old Tarantino, you know. Now, now we get a more wiser and, and more polished filmmaker. And, and and just just from a technical aspect, his movies all have gotten better and better as, as time has gone on. And, you know, I know I know sometimes they could use a little editing, and I agree with that with that criticism. But besides that, I mean, his movies are he, – he has – he doesn't have a bad movie. Like, like he has he, – you know, he doesn't have a bad – and it's not like he does – he takes 10 years off like James Cameron. I mean, he, he's, he's, he takes out a movie once – at least once every three years. So, so um, you know, he doesn't hide behind, you know, time or whatever. So um, that's something to be said, too. Forget about just Pulp Fiction. Let's talk about the filmmaker himself. Like, the guy the guy just he, – he makes incredible movies, you know, and, and, and he, he, he continues to make them. Right. So, um, you know, props to him to the point where, like, like when, whenever a, a Tarantino film comes out, it's an event. Like, like, I don't know how it is with you guys, but, you know, with me and my friends, like, a Tarantino movie is something to be celebrated. Like, every, every like December 25th is his day. For whatever reason, he's adapted that day as his, as, as, as a Tarantino release date. So every time Christmas comes around and Tarantino has a movie, it's like a big deal. And everybody yeah. goes to watch it. So I, don't, I can't think of another filmmaker that has that vibe. Like, like there isn't another, not, not even Spielberg. Like, now Spielberg will make a movie and it's like, okay, it's out there. You know, you watch it when you watch it. But Tarantino movies are like an event movie. And that's and that's another thing that, that he should be proud of, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, man, like two years ago, the day after Christmas, you know, Hateful Eight was a screening the 70 millimeter roadshow at a, in New York, and like day after Christmas, bro, like we just went because I was in the event for that was like a pilgrimage. Like, okay, it's Tarantino, he has another movie out, 70 millimeter, bro, the roadshow version, which I don't think it hasn't has been released yet on on Blu-ray. It's just the the regular you know, theatrical release, but uh, that but it was such an experience. Like they gave you programs and, and you went to that, right, Traven? Of that, course. Are you kidding me? I was there. You still have your program, bro? I have it in, I, my, uh, I have it in my room, bro. I saw it twice. My program. Yeah. I saw it twice. Remember, I also did the Tarantino 8 at the New Beverly. Where, yeah, yeah, uh, the, the, the marathon thing. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, so so every 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 Friday for like nine weeks, we all got together and we saw, you know, his movies all in, in chronological order. 
Right. And then like like if you got to see them all, like like he threw like a big party for because remember it started off with like two hundred people and only like like hundred and ten made it, you know, and then he threw like a big party for everybody and the big main event was like if you made it through all through all his movies, you got to see Kill Bill the the, the, the whole, whole bloody, bloody affair. Which we got to see, which was pretty cool, you know. So, so um, I mean, is it more than just putting like like smashing the two films together, or is there extra stuff to that? Or no, what? no, there's extra stuff. There's the, like like uh, like uh, Jojo Gibari has like a whole dialogue scene, and it's like, you know what? Not all of it is good though, because I did like her more as a silent killer type. Like, you know, she's that bodyguard uh, of of Oren Ishii and stuff. But uh, but there is differences. There is there's quite a few differences actually. Oh, and also the the but the big the big selling point. Of the whole bloody affair is that the 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 House of Blues fall scene is all in color, which you couldn't do that for the theatrical for the for the rating. So that's the that's the big that's the big selling point for the whole bloody affair. I thought you were going to say JoJo Offerman before that you know the daughter of that jabroni from the Dodgers. Nah, so. come on. As soon as you said JoJo, like I had to throw that in there somehow. You know, you know, we're making we, we, well, we just got derailed by the brace, but we were making history, bro. We had eleven in a row. Yeah, the we Yankees, won 11 games in a row. Yeah, yeah. the Yankees were hot before the All-Star break, and now they're starting to fizzle out a little bit. But we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but as far as uh, but as far as far the show, uh, so this is uh, the last thing. I just want to kind of leave you guys with this. Um, so uh, Peter Biskind uh, did a piece on Variety about the impact of Pulp Fiction, and he said, um, so according to that article, it says, the trajectory of Pulp Fiction from Cannes launch to commercial smash forever altered the game of so-called independent cinema. It cemented Miramax's place as reigning supreme, as the reigning indie superpower, it says. Pulp Fiction became the Star Wars of independence, exploding expectations for what an indie film could do at the box office. So, I kind of want to ask you guys, just real, before we get out of here, um, out of all of the influences that Pulp Fiction kind of, you know, started and what it's responsible for, I, I'll start with Adolfo this time, what do you think is the most important change that Pulp Fiction made to the business? Or what's the most like lasting impact that it had, in your opinion? Well, I, I think the most <clears throat> I think the most lasting impact that it had was that it, it really did spark like this new wave of independent movies. Like my my uh I have like three favorite eras in, in, in movies. One is like the classic Hollywood period of like the thirties and forties, the new Hollywood era of like the late sixties, early seventies, and then uh the mid nineties to the to the late to the early two thousands, which was like the independent era. Uh because a lot of people like I think because pulp fiction started this whole craze, right? Um more studios started to go to like Cannes Film Festival and Sundance and uh, South by Southwest and all these other film festivals to like buy up movies to release them later and try and make a profit out of them. So like they'd be independently financed these movies and then like a big studio would come in, sweep up, buy the rights to it to see if they can make some money, like to make some Pulp Fiction money, right? So that 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 has been going on and that's been that's kind of like what that whole thing started. And while we can complain all we want about, oh, there's too many Star Wars movies, too many Marvel movies, too many, you know, unoriginal movies out there that are blockbusters, that's true. Uh, 
the one thing is that every now and then you do have studios try and buy these like smaller properties to try and make a quick buck and you get like things you know that like, that like slip a, through the like, crack like, like a whiplash maybe like a whiplash or like i'm even going further back like i don't think for example you mentioned usual suspects i don't think you get usual suspects without pulp fiction i don't right. think you get um i don't think you get memento without pulp fiction i don't think you get um uh, I'm trying to think of another good example, but you know th those kind of like indie dark like movies, uh, I, I, like uh, Guy Ritchie movies, like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking or, Barrels, or even, or even something that. like, or even, or even something like Swingers, which is also part of that whole vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That. Like I, I think, I think uh, all of that is responsible, and a little bit to like you know, yeah, like the Robert Rodriguez and Kevin Smith a little bit too, but mostly Quentin Tarantino. Like the that's what you that's what it's responsible for. It, it like it. it Calling it the Star Wars is a really good uh, comparison because, like, Star Wars did kind of start that whole block. I mean, Jaws kind of started the blockbuster era, but, like, Star Wars started that whole trend of, like, merchandising and making, like, a huge business out of out of one movie. And, and you know, Pulp Fiction kind of started the whole independent movie craze. So, um, and obviously, yes, there were independent movies before Pulp Fiction, but Pulp Fiction, I mean has to be one of the most financially successful independent movies ever made. Uh, Draven, what do you think? Uh, well, same thing that Adolfo said, but I will add that uh, the biggest contribution was that the people that it inspired. Like I said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm one of the ones that bitches with the whole Marvel craze and the whole, you know, uh, you know, I'm not so much Star Wars, but because that, 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 that hasn't been overly saturated. We only get one a year. But, uh, but with that said, you know, a lot of these filmmakers... You know, a lot of them are on tours like Tarantino, and they do get a chance to make movies like uh, from the from the like Marvel movies or like DC movies. So, because of the influence that Tarantino has had, not only with Pulp Fiction but himself as a filmmaker to a younger generation, uh, these guys get inspired and they cl they climb up, they climb up the ranks the old school way, making their own little movies and, and getting hired to make the bigger pictures. And they bring they bring the, uh, that kind of influence with them, you know. So again, like I said earlier on the show, now we're seeing um, uh, Marvel movies have, be a little more polished, you know, tell us a little more story, you know, not not just be your 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 straight, you know, blockbuster with absolutely no 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 mind to it, you know what I'm saying? So right. so um, and that and that's the whole thing. Like, uh, what was I here? I was hearing an argument earlier. I think it was for for Skull Island or um, or, or 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 the Mummy. I think it was the Mummy. Where somebody was saying like, uh, you know, well, just don't worry about it. It's just a mindless action blockbuster movie. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Like, we've evolved from that. There is no, there, that, that's not even a valid argument. It might have been a valid argument maybe seven, ten years ago. But I, but I think movies like the Marvel films and, and you know, and, and even the Star Wars films, like with J.J. Abrams, who takes a lot of pride in his work, you can't say that anymore. Because now those films have 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 brought the, the blockbuster up to a certain level that, that needs to be reached. The, the era of just going to the movies and just saying, well, I'm just gonna turn my brain off for two hours. I, I, I'm not gonna deal with that anymore because it's, it, that, that's not the kind of world we live in anymore. Film, blockbuster films have evolved from that from that era. And, and, and I think a lot of it is because a lot of these younger filmmakers, you know, they were inspired by, by, by Quentin Tarantino. And that, that's, that's what I think is the real lasting legacy of Pulp Fiction is the, is the younger generation who, who got inspired by him were able to give us more polished dialogue, 
better scripts, you know, better storytelling, and putting them in a in a blockbuster setting where before that wasn't that wasn't necessarily the thing that that that, that studios really wanted, you know. So that's what I think the the, the biggest uh, lasting legacy is for Pulp Fiction. Absolutely, I mean, it, it's really just it just affected the industry in just so many ways that we, that we can count. Um, and uh, so I mean, no matter what you think of the film itself, like you can't deny the effect that you know Pulp Fiction had on Mick Hollywood on just the, the business of film in general and just the lasting impact that it's had and um, and I think with that we're going to wrap up Force Perspective episode 99 any questions comments feedback just send an email to fpmpodcast at gmail.com you can also follow the show on Twitter at fpmoviepodcast you can follow me on Twitter at sportsguy505 you can follow Adolfo on Twitter at Adolfo underscore Acosta Draven doesn't have a Twitter he doesn't do that post 87 shit so no, um, no. let me ask him. you guys something no, you can. Thank God. But let, let me let me see. Uh, what are you guys gonna do for the big 100? Like, I know you guys got something special. Don't tell me it's gonna be uh just a regular uh, reviewing uh, Planet of the Apes. It definitely won't be. Um, but we're kind of keeping things a little bit under wraps right now because we're uh, oh, we're, okay, we're talking okay, a little cool. bit different avenues right now how we're gonna go about it. So uh, um, we'll start dropping hints in the next few weeks though, because it'll it'll probably drop uh probably in September because now it's August. Um, so I'm going to have to disappear for about a month due to uh, other commitments, but I'll be back in September for uh, episode 100. But throughout the month, I'll be dropping little hints on social media, Facebook, Twitter, about what could possibly be happening for 100. So, so, so you, you guys started in 2011 or 2012? Uh, 2011, I believe. Ju- July wow. 2011. I do remember that, speaking of the Planet of the Apes films, wasn't that one your first review? Yes, the, the, I think see, it was episode I, I, two, I, bro. I, I, think I remember that. That's right. I remember that vividly. Um, okay, so that's cool. Congratulations. And, uh, you know, hopefully you guys do another 100 in another fucking six years. <laughs> I, I appreciate that, bro. Thank you. Uh, Dolfo, do you have any plugs? I guess not. Adolfo, you still there? I was on mute. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Yes, I do. Uh, we, we I got the Essential Films podcast uh, where me and Mark uh, talk about the classic movies, kind of like we did here on Pulp Fiction, but a little more G-rated. Uh, our last episode, we did uh, The Bridge on the River Kwai. Uh, on our next episode, we are going to be talking Star Wars, the original 1977 Star Wars. Um, we will uh, – that by the time this episode drops, Star Wars should be out because we're recording that in about two days. So look for that now. Awesome. And Draven, why don't you plug your your stuff? Well, we have just uh, the okay, Fabulous Lucha Brothers on Geekdom 101. Um, we, we just had the great Danny Louie on to uh, cover... Uh, what the hell did he cover with us? Sold, um, uh, they, wasn't he on for Sold Out Part 2? But I don't know what oh, he yeah, did with it. Oh, you know, what, you, know, you know what? He's gonna be on. He's gonna, we, we take these fucking things out of order, bro. But he should be on by the time this drops, so it, it's, gonna, it's gonna match him perfectly. Um, he, we did Halloween Havoc '99, which was the Russo era. We always oh, like to nice. talk shit about the Russo era, so we did that. And I think we got Super Brawl 2000 coming up after that, and uh, that's pretty much it. You know, we 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 ourselves we've been going at it since uh, 2014. Yeah. So um, you know, we're we're in about episode 150 or something like that. But uh, yeah, we we got our own thing. We're we're growing. I, I'm still amazed at the people that hit me up with our. Uh, with our wacky quotes, you know, Cluster B, Post 87 stuff that we get over on the show. 
Uh, but yeah, so so that's on Geekdom 101. You go through the archives right there, and that's uh, that's pretty much it. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I, I like how you call him the great Danny Louie. You bury him every other episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh, for for uh, Halloween Havoc, did he bring his notebook? I, I that's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe he did. Yeah, yeah. You could hear him turning it every. every I guess other he learned. Movie. I guess he took that from art, bro. You're talking about yeah. art in his thick ass notebooks too. So, <laughs> but anyway, guys. Um, and I and I the the deal still stands, bro. Like. The day you decide to do ECW One Night Stand 06, I have to be on for that because I have some oh, stories about that, bro. And, and you're going to summer. You're, you're going to the Summer Sham, right? I'm going to Summer Sham or Summer Fest. I'm going to Summer Fest, bro. <laughs> so, right. so that yeah. lineup's not that lineup's not looking too intriguing, but you know, I, I hope it's not a four way like like the scuttlebutt's been going around. Yeah, I, I, I think that's what they're leaning towards, but uh, but yeah, bro, and it's probably gonna be the last one in Brooklyn, so I get to say I was at all three of them when they were here. So, I wonder if they're going to go next year. I wonder if they're going to come back here. Well, I mean, I they, so. they, there was scuttlebutt that they wanted to do Boston, but I think the Boston deal fell through because they were going to do it at Fenway or some shit. And oh, shit. That was, that was the scuttlebutt. That, what, the deal that Boston offered them was they wanted to do SummerSlam at Fenway and WrestleMania at, uh, at Gillette. But uh, oh. I think that All fell right. through, though. So I don't know what's going to happen for next year, but you know we'll see. But Draven... Thank you for sharing your favorite movie with us. We, uh, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it for episode 99, bro. Uh, yes. So, yeah, so big changes coming for episode 100. We're going to keep all the surprises under wraps for now. But we will be dropping hints over the next four weeks. Um, you know, this is the typical time when I kind of disappear because of work commitments, my full-time job. So uh, um, we have, we'll be dropping some hints on Twitter, on Facebook as to what possibly could be happening for 100. And we're very excited about the the new era we're about to enter. But we want to thank you for just joining us for these past 99 episodes and being a part of our journey. But uh, but the best is yet to come, everybody. That's all I have to say. So, um, uh, Dolph, do you have any final words? Nope. Just tune in next time for episode 100. Episode 100, bro. Again, Draven, thank you for joining us. Uh, on behalf of Adolfo and Draven on Sports Five One Five, thanks for joining us on this episode 99 of Force Perspective. And until episode 100, we are out of here.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.